Um, Father, I want to thank you that, that um, you're a God of promise. And when we discuss uh, what is going on in Israel, that that is really the result of who you are amongst the people in the earth. And God, I'm grateful that your chosen people are Israel, but that's not the only choice you made. And that's really amazing that you chose them to be a, a ministering agent to the world. And, I, and God, as we discuss this this morning, pray that my words would be clear. I pray that we would be aware as a church, that we would not be fearful, afraid, uncertain, um, or uninformed. Um, so God, give us grace this morning as we talk, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, as a Christian, I, like, I remember when I first got saved, somebody told me, pray for Israel. How many of you guys have ever been told, pray for Israel? Do you know why? You know, because what I've found in the last couple of weeks is people have said, why Israel? And I've heard answers like, well, because God chose them. Well, that, that is part of the answer. You guys know that? By the way, we're a smaller group today because the women are all gone on retreat. So we probably have a few poorly dressed children in the children's ministry. And we have a bunch of men at home, presumably watching online, but we hope that. But that's why we're considerably smaller this morning because all the ladies are gone. And we've got 30-some ladies up the mountain um, connecting with one another and with God. So, But, but as a Christian... I just remember being told that you need to pray for Israel. And, I, and now that I'm a, a, you know, a pastor many, many years later, um, and I've studied some, I understand the why. But how many of you would say, I've been told that, but I'm not totally sure why? Anybody honest enough in the room to say, I don't, like, why is it so important to God, this? And Israel as a people is important to God, but God's nature and character is tied to them. That's what's more important. So we know that God is a God of promise, yes? So when God promises, what would you think if God didn't fulfill his promises? Is he a God that you could trust? So when we're talking about Israel and what's going on, that's some of what we're going to look at. So I've had several people reach out. Why did God choose Israel? Um, did the church replace Israel? Um, why is, it, will Israel ever be at peace? Because it always seems like there's conflict in the Middle East. Why is Hamas bad? I've had that question as well. Um, this has the potential of being politically charged, what I'm about to say. That's not my motive. Okay, but let, let me say a couple of things. God gave Israel the land. Okay, God gave Israel the land. So when we talk about our current administration, we talk about a two-party state. Now, for some of you who aren't politically oriented, that means that, that the Palestinians and the Jews would have legal right to the nation of Israel. Um, that, that's not biblical. That's why that can't be something that we agree with. For those of you who don't know, like BLM, Black Lives Matter, they came out and made a statement that was pro-Hamas. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, we also had, I was really happy to see our president actually say we are behind Israel. Because if I'm honest, I was worried about that because our prior president was, but two presidents back, he was not. And many of you are not aware of that. You have to listen between the lines because they won't come out right out and say, we are against this and for that. They'll say it with a lot of flowery language, but if you listen attentively, you'll find that there's some... So why is America blessed? Because we've always supported Israel. But when you pull that back, you put us in a precarious spot. So if you're watching any news sources, they're going to tell you Israel's wrong, they stole the land. How many of you guys have heard that? Actually, if you Google it right now, you can Google it, right? Don't do it while I'm preaching. Do it after church. If you Google it right now, the majority of the initial hits that you get around the, the Israel-Gaza conflict will be pro 
Palestinian, not pro-Israel. So that says that our news sources and our web engines are pushing a narrative as well. I'm just trying to make you aware. Like I said, this has the potential to be politically charged. That's not my goal. My goal is to make you aware as biblically world-viewed Christians. Somebody please say amen. amen. You should look at the world. Israel, Gentiles, Jew, doesn't matter. What does God say? That is what is important. Amen. Period. We go, oh, but that's not nice, and we want to be politically correct. I don't know. I want to be God correct. Now, I don't want to be politically a knucklehead, and I don't want to be discriminatory. Somebody say amen. That's not the goal either. But what does God say about it? Because ultimately, that is the final straw. And in our land today, there are plenty of things that people are spinning narrative about that is not what God values. It's around gender. It's around race. It's around Israel. It's around politics. It's around finance. Everywhere you look, you're feeling this pressure. Am I telling the truth right now? So listen, I want you to be aware so that you're not just reading stuff without any ability to discern or read between the lines. See, the political narratives that we're hearing, they cannot be accurate unless the scriptures, unless they line up with the scriptures. Amen. And that's a period. And that is how you should think as a Christian. So somebody's, I'm sure somebody's online listening. Somebody here is going, I don't know if I think like that. He can't tell me how to think. I would suggest to you that you've probably been influenced by a, a, a non-biblical worldview. Okay, so what's the first thing? In your notes, you're going to see it says God's choosing. So God made a promise to Abraham, a covenant. So we have to remember that Israel was given the land by God, and also Jerusalem is the city, I don't know if you guys ever like read this, of God's heart. Jerusalem itself is mentioned over 800 times in the scriptures. And it's always like, even the word Jerusalem, it's the city of peace. That's literally what it means, and God is the prince of peace. So there's a direct connection there. So God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. He's 70 years old when this happens. So this is just a little bit of timeline, a little bit of history, so you understand why Israel. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, And the Lord God said to Abram, and you're going to see in just a few, few readings, his name is going to be changed. But he says to Abram, Go forth from your country. And from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I'll make your name great and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who what? Bless you. And I will curse those who what? Curse you. And in you all, somebody say all, the families of the earth will be blessed. See, here's part of the narrative that you're hearing that Israel is wrong, but what God said is Israel is right, and I've positioned them, and if you trust my authority, sovereignty, then you'll be blessed by honoring them, because I chose them. Now, now I, I just got to park on this for just a second, really briefly. One of the troubles that we have is that sometimes when we look at the nation Israel, or the Jews in particular, they've let that go to their head a little bit. I don't know, you guys are aware of that? <laughs> That they think it's like, we're the best, that's why God picked us. The scriptures don't actually declare that. God says, because you were little and small and insignificant, I will demonstrate my strength to you and I'll put you in a position that you could never be put in otherwise. That's actually what the Bible teaches about the nation Israel. He didn't pick them because they were, quote unquote, the best or the strongest. He picked them because he could demonstrate his faithfulness through them. Those are very, very different things, by the way. So... With Abram, he said, listen, the promise, I'm going to show you a land. You're going to be a great nation. 
I'm going to bless you, make your name great. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And all the families will be blessed because of you. Now, the life application of that is very simple. Our God is a God of promises. Somebody, oh, that was pathetic, church. Got to help me a little. My back hurts. Come on. Our God is a God of what? Promises. He's a God of promises. He declares over every life, every life, I have a purpose and a destiny for you. And it's up to us what we do with that purpose and destiny. Because I've seen God lay the pathway out for people only to have them not walk it. So all of us are faced with a choice. So was Israel. God said, here's the way I want you to go. And you need to go that way. So God, now with, with Abram, he broadens the promise. So, so when God is leading you toward his destiny, our destiny, yours and mine, do you know that he won't show you the whole picture at once? How you guys ever thought about this? I don't know if you've ever really considered this. What if God showed you where you would be, where you're at in your life currently? Like some of you are a little older than me even today. I love you all, but you're older than me. Some of you aren't quite as old. But what if when you were like 20 or 23, like my son Michael, what if you, when you were 23, God gave you the whole picture of where you would be today? Like what if when I was 23, God said, I'm going to make you a pastor? a senior leader. I'm going to teach you how to study the scriptures and teach them to other people. I'm going to give you the responsibility of a spiritual community. You know what I would have said? I'm going surfing. That's what I would have said. Listen, and that's true for many, many of us, because when you're face to face with God's purpose for your life, if he showed you too much all at once, you'd be like, whoa. And now at this season of my life, I find myself going, what are the next steps? God, what else do you need? Education. What else do you need me to add so that I can fulfill my purpose in you? By the way, you should be asking similar types of questions. So God will broaden the promise, but he'll only show you what you can handle. He'll do it in, in releases, in seasons. Like Think like this. God is eternal outside of time. We are living within time, and he shows us as we need to go, need to understand, need to move. That's true with Abraham also. So in Genesis 15... Verses 1 through 6, he says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Don't fear. Now listen, if God comes to you in a vision, and the first thing he says is, Don't fear, that means he was probably what? Probably scared. Incidentally, when God comes and shows you what your purpose and destiny is, there should be a little bit of a sense of holy reverence in there. I'm telling you the truth right now. If there isn't, check yourself. That means you've got some pride rumbling around in there pretty deeply. Like I, I Listen, I'm speaking from experience as a guy who struggles with pride. I always thought I can conquer the world. I'll do whatever. I'm better, and I'll be better at everybody then. Pretty arrogant, right? But he's, he says, listen, don't fear, Abram. Don't fear. I'm a shield to you, and your reward will be very great. And Abraham said, or Abram said, oh Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer, of Damascus. Incidentally, Eliezer is helper. It's the Old Testament word for Holy Spirit. Okay, so he's like, what are you going to give it? Like, all of my stuff, my wealth is going to be handed off to a servant of mine. And Abram said, since you have not given me offspring or offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. He said, then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, referencing Eliezer. He said, but one will come forth from you, from your body, he shall be your heir. He took him outside and he said to him, now look at the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. 
Watch this. Then he believed the Lord, and he, God, reckoned it to him as righteousness. Okay, I don't know if you guys have ever done this. Like, I've, I've gone to, like, Sequoia's Yosemite or someplace where it's dark and pretty and there's not a lot of pollution in the air. And you look up. You ever tried to count stars? No, I'm being really serious. Like, I did it one time and I thought, I'm going to pick between those bright stars, that little teeny square. I couldn't do it. I couldn't count the, just in a little square of the whole sky, just a little square, I couldn't count them all. And God said of Abram, and understand, the language is picturesque. It's artistic, but he's saying, listen, you got to understand that my promise to you is that it, your, your, your inheritance will be broader than what you thought. Now, just by sheer numbers, is Israel the most populated people in the earth? No. But is the message of faith the most populated thing in the earth? The answer is yes. That's God being a God of promise. There are more Christians than any other faith system in the earth today. And that's been true for millennia now. Long, long time that has been the case. So he says to him, listen, I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. I'm going to promise you an heir. And this one is really, really big. Don't miss this. He believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. How important is your faith in God and your walk with God? Oh, man, see, see, this is where the rubber meets the road. See, listen, I'm trying to make application in your life for what God did with Israel because, listen, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did for them, he is doing in you as well. Now, he may not promise you a land flowing with milk and honey, but he does promise you a fruitful life. But it's ours to operate in faith. Like, I remember one time, this was a long time ago, and I had lots of opportunities when I was coming up. I had gone to Bible college, and I was teaching different studies and things like this. And, and when I had the opportunity to actually go into vocational ministry, like I'd prepared for it, but I was working a normal job, like earning money, taking care of my family, doing what people do. And I remember when I met with Pastor Dan from Water of Life, he said, you know what, James, I've watched you over the years. And, and he said it like this, and I didn't like that he said it. If I was honest, I wanted to hit him, but he's really tall. I couldn't reach that. I know. I'm funny. But it did actually, his statement bothered me, though, if I'm honest. He said, I watched you do this on several occasions. You walked right up to the edge of the cliff, and you looked over like you're going to jump into ministry, and you took a step back. And I went, and this is what I thought. I, I never did that. And then I took that away, and I started to ask the Lord, how many times did I step away? And he started showing me, you had this opportunity, you had that opportunity. You said no when you should have said yes. And I watched that happen over and over. Listen, you're going to have the exact same things happen with you. Israel had the exact, Abram was reckoned righteous, positionally right before God, no sin. That's how you need to think. How important is that particular statement? It's mentioned, let's see, I'm just going to rattle them off. I'm not going to read all the verses. Romans 4, 3 is a direct quote of that. Romans 4, 20 through 22. Galatians 3, 6. James 2, 23. Hebrews 11, 8 through 19, and, and, and even in Hebrews 1 and 2, verse 1 and 2, it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of not th things not seen. For by it men of old gained what? Approval. So how do you become right with God? How do you become righteous before God? Faith. See, I've had people say to me, why, why did God choose Israel? Because he's God. He can do whatever he wants, right? Is that why? i got to be honest with you. That's a pretty weak answer. 
Like I've, I've listened to teachers. We've asked questions like this in classes I've taken. And somebody will ask, why did God choose Israel? And they go, they go well, because he's God. He can do whatever he wants. I, I'm going to suggest to you that is not a biblical answer, nor is it an answer you should give anybody. Amen. This is what you should say. Because God picked a man who said yes. God picked a man who decided he would operate in faith. God picked a man who, even with failures, and how many of you know Abraham had some what? Failures. Lots of big, giant mistakes. I'm going to show you one that's enormous in just a second. Big mistakes. But he kept saying what? Yes. So when somebody says, why did God pick Abram? Because he's the father of faith. The, the response is this, because he believed God. Watch. I mean, I'm sorry. I got to convince y'all. I can tell I got to convince y'all. Listen, if, if God showed up in your household today and said, I want you to move, go move. Really? Okay, Jesus, where do you want me to move to? Just go. I'll tell you when you get there. Anybody signing up? Oh, yeah, yeah, just go. Just, you know, come on. Tell everybody, like, go to your wife and say, hey, we got a really nice house, and it's air-conditioned. You do have a nice house, incidentally. But it's really, really a cool house. And, and you and Gonzalo, God wants you to go, and he'll tell you when you get there. I'm sorry. That happens to me. I'm going to be like, uh, Jesus, you need to give me a little more than that. Watch, watch, because I don't have that level of... So the right answer to why did God pick Abram, who later his grandchild is, is Israel, why did he pick him? Because he operated in faith. And that positioned him as righteous. That's an accurate answer to the biblical question of why did God pick Israel? Listen, the life application for you and I, faith positions us or makes us righteous with God. He's not asking for perfect faith. You're going to see right now Abram did not have perfect faith. But he is asking you to operate in faith when you fail to continue pressing on in what? Faith. Don't give up. So what about when we do it our way? How many of you guys have ever done God's plan your way? Come on. let's. You all better put your hands up. There ain't a lot of us, but every single one of us have tried to do God's plan our way. I know that's true. And maybe I'm the, like, the PhD teaching you all how to do it. I don't know. I messed up a lot. But I do realize this, that every single one of us gets an idea of what we think God is up to, and we try to move, try to move. So watch Genesis 16. This is verses 3 and 4. Now, I'm doing kind of a, a quick survey so you guys understand what I'm doing. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. Okay, so God said, go, leave Ur the Chaldees, go. So 10 years have passed. <laughs> Anybody ever waited 10 years for anything? It's hard, isn't it? Ten years is a long time. So ten years have gone by, and Abraham's wife Sarah took Hagar, that's their, their servant, the Egyptian, who's a type of the world, her maid, and she gave her to her husband Abram as his wife, and he went into her, which is sex, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised her in her sight. So what you've got going on is Sarah has not had a promised son, and so she comes up with an idea, her plan to accomplish God's way. Again, has anybody ever done your plan to accomplish? All of us have. So she says, listen, Abram, I got this great idea. 
I got this servant girl. By the way, in the custom of the day, this was not all that out of the ordinary, just so you know. So don't think perverted. This was part of the culture of the day. Is it right? Somebody say no. So she brings her, and what happens? She gets pregnant. Well, now we know for sure that Sarah is the barren one, not Abram. Now, in this culture, if you're a barren woman, you are despised. You're looked down upon. It's actually a very, very negative thing. So she gets upset with the girl for getting pregnant when it was her idea. And, and what happens? Hagar produces Ishmael. Oh, man, this is a gigantic mistake. This isn't a little bit. Of, listen, when you look at what's going on in Gaza, this is the root of the mistake. Most of us don't understand this, and we don't like to say it out loud because it can be misunderstood. But if you trace Islam back to Abram, they go through Ishmael. And if you trace Judaism back to Abram, they go through Isaac. Isaac is the son of promise. Ishmael is the son of sin, actually. The mistake. Wow, that's crazy. So God promises Hagar, though, that she's going to have tons of descendants through Ishmael. That's what's wild to me. God even promised the mistake that it would be blessed, that there would be lots of, of generations from him. Now, jumping down to verse 12 of Genesis 16, this is the promise about Ishmael. He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. Anybody ever seen wild donkeys? They're all over Big Bear, by the way. They're wild and crazy, and they destroy stuff. Like, like they're uncontrollable. So when you're saying somebody's a wild donkey of a man, you're saying he's uncontrollable. His hand will be against who? Everyone. Wait, wait, wait. You mean the Islamic movement, the Palestinian, they're, they're always going to be at war? Like I said last week, somebody said, did you say that Israel will never be at peace? And my response was, sort of. And they go, well, I said, I'll explain it Sunday. The reason Israel will never be at peace is because Israel is surrounded by people who want her exterminated from the face of the earth. So does Israel know peace? At times. But will Israel know permanent peace? Not until God returns. There's always going to be tension in the region. There's always going to be war in the region. Listen, you need to think like this. How much is God a God of promise? If for you Bible students in the room, does anybody know what happened in A.D. 70? So Jesus dies, resurrects, about 35 years, 40 years later. Does anybody know what happens? The, the Romans show up, the temple is destroyed, and you have what's called the diaspora. All the people are scattered. So the Jews go from, we're here, we're in Jerusalem, the Romans, boom, they're gone. Do you know how many years that they were gone before they returned to their land? Does anybody know? 1948 is when they returned to their land. That's why it's so contested. Do you know that Israel is the only nation on the face of the earth that's ever been displaced and then reestablished in the land from which they were displaced? Because God is a God of what? He told Abram, listen, you guys are gonna, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a land and no one can stop you from getting that land. Now, we just finished studying Moses, and we know the journey to that land was kind of all over the place. We know that they end up making mistakes, like Joseph takes in his family. This is now Jewish history, and he takes care of them. Well, they get comfortable in Egypt, and they stay for over 400 years. So the promised Abram now, it's probably five or 600 years old, somewhere thereabout. There have been generations and generations, and Moses shows up, and he leads the people. And remember, Moses smote the rock. You guys remember this? And the second time, God says, talk to the rock. Moses smote it again, and God says, because of that, you misrepresented me. You can't go in to the promised land. 
How many have been to Israel? Anybody been to Israel? Anybody ever floated in the Dead Sea? It stings your skin, actually, super salty. It's really cool, though. Like, you actually, you can't, like, you float. Like, you can't, if you try to dive underwater, which they recommend you don't, you pretty, you pop back up. It's like, it's like you're a raft or something. Well, right up above the Dead Sea is Mount Nebo, which is where Moses was when he looked out at the Promised Land. That was his last view of what was going to happen. And he passes the baton to Joshua and says, see that oasis out there? Because if you were on Nebo, you would look at Jerusalem and go, that's beautiful. And that's what God said about Jerusalem. It would be a land with water flowing with milk and honey. says, Joshua, that's the spot. Lead the people there. And off they go. So they end up landing in Egypt, which was what God promised, or in Jerusalem, pardon me, is what God promised. So listen, when you're looking at all of this that occurred with Abram, he made mistakes. The biggest mistake he made, watch, man, this is crazy, is still impacting his people 4,000 years later. If I said to any one of you, your sin is still going to be making a difference in the world 4,000 years from now. You know what most of us would do? I don't even have context for 4,000 years. I'm only going to live, you know, 60, 80 years, 100 if God graces me with health. But 4,000? Listen, what just happened in the Gaza Strip is a result of Abraham's sin, having Ishmael, and it's still impacting God's promise 4,000 years years later. How important is it for us to obey God? Oh my gosh. Like, I, I got to be honest. When I saw this and I, I'm like, wow. How important is it for me to not take, like, that's ah, not that big a deal. Little sin, it's a little sin. It's a hidden sin. Nobody knows a sin. It's not a big sin. It's not going to impact anybody, right? No. We shouldn't think like that. 4,000 years later. So listen, listen. The life application is this. Pay attention to what you're doing. Sin impacts the generations to come. How many of you in your room have kids? How many of you all love your kids? How many of you all want a godly inheritance in your kids? Really important. Don't take for granted small things. Don't do God's promise your way. Does this make sense? Okay, I think I beat that horse to death. Somebody say, yes, you did, Pastor. You beat that horse to death. So Abraham gets called. The timeline of Abraham gets called when he's 70. God gives him the promise from chapter 15. When he's 75, I'm going to give you a son. When he's 86, so 11 years later, Ishmael is born. Like I said, most of us have not waited that long for promises to come about. So we don't really like, the longer you wait, the harder it is to what? Wait. When the promise actually comes about, Abraham is 100 years old when Isaac is born. Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8. He says, I'm going to establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. What kind of covenant? Everlasting. The kind that when you get displaced in AD 70, you can show back up in 1948 and you're in God's will. That, is that wild? Like, that's wild. I don't, and, man, 
There's so much there. Like I told Henry, I had to trim this from like 14 pages down to seven. I had so like I'm like this is nuts. You guys understand that there's a whole theological construct called Israelology, which is the study of Israel, and I'm trying to do that in a 40-minute sermon. Good luck, right? But but listen, listen. There's just so much going on in my head. If you go to south of, or pardon me, Israel, it's about the size of Southern California. It's not very large. It's not even as populated. Like, there's more population here than there is there. What's wild is when you go there, the, one, the people are very unique. You have, like, this touch of antiquity on top of, like, modernism. So you'll have people with the, the phylacteries and the long beards and the curls and, and the whole thing. And you go to the wall, and there are people praying like this, and there are people partying. They're drinking and dancing. It's wild. Like, you have just the colliding of cultures. And it's just, and then you have just this old city, and it's beautiful. And we stood up on the rooftops. We were looking over the city, and there was a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, and he was teaching us. And he was talking to us about how, how important Israel is to the heart of God. He said, this was God's land, and he gave it to us. And he said, in Jerusalem is God's city, and it's the place where his heart resides. In Zion, how many of you guys ever heard the word Zion? That's where the Temple Mount is. And this is what the Jews believe. That's the single greatest concentration of the presence of God on the face of the earth. That's how important it is to them. So when we're talking about this land, they understand God positioned us here. God gave this to us. So how should we think about that as Christians? I'm going to say two things. One is negative. One is positive. The positive one is this. We should pray for them and support them. The negative one is you don't need to be in Zion to experience the presence of God. One of the beauties of Jesus is when he came, he released the Holy Spirit. And he said, listen, this is going to be my presence. And you're going to be the temple of the living God. I'm going to live in you. Some of you don't think like that. Some of you are like, the Spirit of God lives in me? Yeah, and you take him to some God-awful places. I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm teasing y'all. You know I'm playing with you. (laughs) That was intended to be funny. (laughs) It was. But we have to understand that there is something of the New Testament release of God that is different than the Old Testament. But when we're talking about how the Jews view the promise that God gave them, that's how they view it. God gave us this land. Listen, how committed are they to their land? How many of you guys like? How many of you guys have like World War II parents? Like my dad was World War II. You grew up under the old old guard, old generation. There was patriotism in our country that you can't find today. It's not like that at all anymore. It was a very like even Brokaw wrote the book, The Greatest Generation Ever. I mean, just remarkable, different cut of people. Um, Israel makes us look like we're not patriotic. Every single citizen, say every single. Citizen and the whole nation serves in the military, male and female alike. So when you go in to Israel, like we were with Elliot, he was our, our guide. Elliot preached her. I don't know, for those of you who've been around a while, you know, you know who Elliot is. But when we were with Elliot, uh, we're on the streets and he said, I said, how often does stuff happen? Like a terror or something like that? He goes, it's pretty regular. Like somebody will do something within the city and stuff will happen. And he goes, and now, now Elliot, so you guys understand who he was, he was somebody who would get consulted by the Secretary of State in the U.S. when there were uprisings in the Middle East because he was a general. So he would do consulting. Brilliant man, brilliant man. General, lieutenant, he was high ranking. I don't remember, it wasn't a general. Anyways, high ranking. So he would consult the U.S. on what we should be aware of, what we should be doing. 
And, and he said, man, he goes, you know the difference with America? You guys hear a gunshot and everybody runs. He said, we hear a gunshot because we're all trained. And he lifts up the shirt and we all carry. He goes, we run to the, the infraction, not from it. He goes, we just think differently. This is our land. And no one's going to take it from us. So you have uproars with Netanyahu declaring war over this incident, which incidentally, it's the first attack of this magnitude. It should be this kind of response to it. But that said, they understand God gave this to us. No one's taken it. That they understand that. We as, as believers need to be prayerful in supporting that. Listen, I'm not saying I support war. I want to be really clear. But sometimes it's a necessary response. I don't want to like I don't want somebody misquoting me online or something stupid like that. Not promoting war. What I am saying is the the attack like requires a response. So Israel saying this is our land. God gave it to us. We're not going to give it over. That is how it should be thought of. So when we look back at Abraham now, so I'm just kind of giving you modern and old, trying to give you a little bit of context. What we have with Abraham is in, verse, in chapter 17, we know that Abraham's name is changed as is Sarah's. So we see name and nature, that God is changing who they are. The covenant of circumcision is implemented. Incidentally, just, just a little aside on circumcision, circumcision is actually by New Testament standards a matter of the heart. By Old Testament, it was physical circumcision of the foreskin. Now, incidentally, how would you know if somebody was or was not circumcised. I think everybody's running around with pants on. You get the point I'm making? There would be no way for you to know other than your commitment to God and the way that you behaved in community. There'd be no way to know. So it's just, it's important that we understand what we're talking about when we're talking about this. But God implements it. It's a binding agreement between God and Abraham. And again, he changes Sarah's name. And then in the middle of all of this, now mind you, Abraham made a mistake. He goes into Hagar. They have Ishmael. Abraham himself says this. What about Ishmael? Because, listen, this is the narrative you're hearing today. Well, what about the Palestinians? How come they don't have right to the land? How many of you guys have heard that? Okay, you guys are killing me. You've got to react a little bit. There's only 30 of you here this morning. Got to react a little bit. Has anybody watched the news at all? Yeah, no, trying not to. And you're probably the better for it. But the reality is, is that they are presenting like, why do they have the right to the land? And the bottom line is because God gave it to them. So Mo, or Abram says this about, about Ishmael, and now his name has changed, so it's actually Abraham. This is verse 18, chapter 7. He says, oh, that Ishmael might live before he's speaking to God. What about Ishmael? <laughs> Watch. But God said no. So what about Ishmael? God said no. But Sarah, your wife, she's going to bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which is in a funny story means he laughs, because when Sarah's told that she's going to have a baby at 90 years old, she laughs. And so God says, yeah, I'll have the last laugh, and names him literally. He laughs, and I'll establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for your descendants after him. So 4,000 years later, who, who owns Israel? The descendants of Isaac, which, which is Jacob and Esau. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel are the descendants of the land. So how should you think about it with the biblical worldview? So God said no to Ishmael, 
And, and Isaac is the son of promise. So watch, watch. The life application is this. Patience will produce the promise of God. I need to say this to you. Like I'm trying to make application to your guys' lives right now. Patience produces the promise of God. So many of us have had to wait so long to get what we thought God spoke to us that we've given up and lost hope. Am I talking to anybody here this morning? Listen, this could be a small thing. I want my kids to get saved. God, you promised. Don't give up. God, you told me I'd be in ministry. You said I'd be a preacher. Don't give up. God, you told me that the... don't give up. Patience produces promise. Incidentally, if you're lacking patience, ask for the Spirit of God to refresh you because the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is patience. Incidentally, I pray for this for me all of the time because if you know me, I am not what? I'm not patient when I drive. I'm not patient when I heat up my food. Man, I get a microwave and I turn it off before the one minute is done. Like, I am not patient. I was making real popcorn on the stove the other day. I was shaking the popcorn. I looked, I'm like, this takes forever. I stick it in the microwave, push popcorn, walk away, come back three minutes later, and I got popcorn. 20 minutes later, I'm still shaking the pan. Like, this is terrible, because I'm not what? Listen, many of you aren't either. But patience produces promise. When you wait on God, you will arrive at where he declared Listen, some of you, I need to say one more thing. This is free, not, this is not notes. For some of you, God has given you a vision of what the future looks like. Some of you are like, I'm old. No, you ain't that old. Abraham was 100 when he had the son, so don't get me old. Don't get me old. Some of you have had God promise you, and you've lied. I, I just want, man, don't lose heart. And listen, listen, this is really important. Steward what God has given you right now so that he can trust you with what he's going to give you in the future. That is so, so important. I've had so many people say to me, oh yeah, but God told me I was going to do this. I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be a prophet. going to be a, a, an elder in a church. I was going to do, I was going to, I was going to, and I'm like, what are you doing now? I had a guy come to me one time. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to be a musician. I go, really? I said, who are you training under? And he goes, what do you mean? He's a pretty good guitar player, just for record. Homeboy could jam. He goes, what do you mean? And I said, who's training you? He goes, what do you mean? I go, you think you're going to get better just because you place it in on the edge of your bed? Who's teaching you how to be remarkable? Because if no one's teaching you how to be remarkable, listen, I'm a Cowboys fan. Some of you know. I know. Cry with me if you are one too, but hey, just saying. Deion Sanders used to play for, he was a remarkable athlete. Listen, I'm not preaching about Deion Sanders, but I like his drive, and I look at what he's done with the Colorado football program because excellence is the vision. And I love that. Like, he just, like, we don't settle for, for less than. And we work hard, and we set a culture of we're going to be the best. We're going to win a national championship. Okay, so you're going to sit on the edge of your bed, and you're going to become, you know, whatever, the, the next Jimmy Page or you know, Jimi Hendrix or whatever you want to call yourself. I don't know who the cool, I haven't listened to that music in so many years. I don't know who's cool anymore. I, I'm just old now. But you're going to get that good by just wishing it? No, no, no. Listen, listen. If God has given you a vision, steward it. If it requires education, get educated. If it requires skill, find somebody who can impart it. Don't just sit back and think, well, someday it's all going to open up. Now put your hand to the plow. And see how God is opening it up for you. Amen? Okay, that, that was just me adding a little bit.
Patience produces promise. What was God's purpose for Israel? Now, this, this actually gets fun. So, because if you don't know your purpose, a lot of times you'll end up missing the mark. And I'm doing pretty good on time. You guys hanging in okay? You guys okay? Well, that's Marty. Marty loves me. What about the rest of y'all? You guys doing okay? You're like, he's talking to Israel. I just wanted to come and get encouraged. I don't, I'm trying. I'm trying. What's, what's the purpose of Israel? And what does that mean for me? See, because if you don't understand that God has a purpose for your life, you'll miss it. So what was, what was Israel's purpose? They were to be his light and his witness. So God speaking of the Jews as his light. Watch, this is out of Acts. And I'm, gonna, I'm only going to touch a few verses. I could have given you 50. It's spoken of that many times. I could have given you tons and tons and tons of God choosing them and them being a witness or a light or a servant or his representative in the earth. But just a few. This is Acts chapter 13, verse 46. Paul and Barnabas, incidentally, now Paul is preaching to the Gentiles. Remember, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. So one thing we draw really quickly is Paul and Barnabas, that means the gospel has gone from the Jews outward further. Super important for you to understand this. It wasn't just for the Jews. And he spoke out boldly and he said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you've repudiated and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning out of the Gentiles. So he's speaking to the Jews. It was given to you. Now it's going to them. Verse 47. He says, for, for so the Lord has commanded us, I've placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, and they began rejoicing and glorifying the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. How many in the room are Gentiles? Let me ask it different. Anybody in the room Jewish? I don't think there's a single person in the room who's Jewish by descent. So that listen, that's all of us in the room. Jesus decided you're part of the family. Now you can get excited. Woohoo! That's what you should be saying. Because you got grafted in, invited in, included. You're adopted. You're heirs and joint heirs. You're no longer like the stepchild. You're part of the family of God today. Incidentally, this is free too. Somebody's going to get mad at me. I always get comments when I say this. Is everybody a child of God? And no. Biblically, no. Those who believed in him, to them he gave the right to be children of God. John 1.12. So we need to understand biblically, does God want everybody to be his child? Yes. Everybody can give a hearty yes. But we get confused with that because we're so nice and tolerant and everybody's going to make it, right? It's not actually what the scriptures say. I mean, so much so that even God's chosen people have to agree that Jesus is the Messiah. Even them. And he chose them. They still have to agree with his way. Okay, so that I've placed a light for the Gentiles. By the way, that's Paul quoting Isaiah 49.6. And I'll also make you a light of the nation so that, you, so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 40, 42.6, I position you as a light to the nations over and over and over. Let, let's keep going. So God has called his people, both Jew and Gentile, to be a light. That's you and I both. Not only the Jews, we're called that too. God has also always intended for his people to represent his love in the earth. We're supposed to be the agents of God. Somebody say amen, please. You're supposed to be his witnesses all throughout the earth. So, so watch, why Israel? Deuteronomy 7, 6. 
It says this, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you from the people for his own possession out of all the peoples of the earth. So part of it, God picked them. They were small. They were insignificant. And God exalted them. You know, so I already talked about like, like you know, it, it was about faith is why God picked because Abraham believed God. So back to the concept of us being light. So we've already said that Israel was to be God's light to the world. Now watch, Jesus speaking of himself, John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke again to them saying, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How about this? Jesus speaking about us, you and I, the church, as his light. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and he gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men. Somebody say amen in such a way that they'll see your good works and they'll glorify your Father who's in heaven. So Jesus is the light of the world. The church is the light of the world. He goes on to say in Acts 1.8, you're going to be my witnesses. Watch, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Where does he start? Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? It's the center of God's heart right there. That's his city. So when you wonder, why is that city so contested? Because it belongs to God. And the last thing that Satan wants is for it to belong to God. So even today as we speak, if you go to the Temple Mount that was destroyed in AD 70, Muslims control the Temple Mount. It's wild, man. Like, if you've never, we need to plan a trip to Israel. We really do. It is the most fascinating place I've ever been. As a Bible student, Bible teacher, it puts so much context to the scriptures to me when we went. I, it was remarkable. Like, I stood on the steps, the entryway to the temple, so as you walk up the steps, there's all these pools where people would wash, like they would clean in case they touched a dead body or a dead animal on their way to the temple because they're going to go make sacrifice. And in, in Jewish custom, you couldn't even enter into the temple unless you were clean. So they had all these like bathing pools. And when you get to the top of the steps, it's where Jesus preached from, but the doorways are closed. So there's these big archways, like they're gigantic. But that's as close as you can get. They won't let you up because it's under Muslim control. But you're standing in the very place where Jesus preached. And then you look at Caiaphas' house, and it's set up the hill just a little bit. So when you hear that they spoke in tongues and everybody could hear them, it makes total sense. Because it's not very far. And it's just there. And they're elevated. So when they prayed in tongues, everybody could hear it. Said, so, man, they're speaking. Like, it just puts so much context to understanding the scriptures. See, what we need to understand is that Jesus said, listen, you're my witnesses, and it starts in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the remotest parts of the earth. Now, we should all say amen to the remotest parts, because if you do the math, we're probably some eight or 9,000 miles away from Israel, something like that, and we would be considered the remotest parts. So, you know, like, as Americans, we're so, like, narcissistic. We think, well, the remotest parts are the jungle somewhere. No, compared to this time, we're the remotest parts. We are thousands of miles away, millennia away, a couple of millennia away from us experiencing the release of the goodness of God. Like, we just have to put context to it that that, that endeavor to be witnesses 
to be light, to be the representatives of Jesus, was given from when Jesus ascended, and now it's ours to carry forth. Man, I, I got to ask you a question. How are you doing with shining your light? And I, if I'm honest with y'all, this stuff convicts me. Like, I talk about Jesus everywhere I go. Just so y'all know, like, I ain't shy about Jesus. And I'm not afraid of somebody like, I talk to Muslims, I talk to homosexuals, I talk to whoever wants to talk Jesus. I'm not afraid of someone's lifestyle. I'm not afraid of where they're at. Like, that doesn't really trouble me. But, but how are we doing, like, not just talking, how are we doing with shining light? Because when I think of shining light, conversations are cheap. Can I be straight up with you? I'd Listen, when he said, go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth, I don't think he was saying, go out and just talk about me. He said, bring the kingdom, demonstrate the what? The kingdom. What was the kingdom? The release of God's presence, his goodness. You saw people get healed and prophesied over and set free and demons being cast out. You see, it saw all this ministry. And then we do this. We go out and talk to our neighbors and say, you should come to church. Not bad, by the way. But do you think that's really what God meant? Do you think that he really meant just ask people to come into your comfort zone? I just, I just told on all of us, didn't I? Because the reality is I don't think that's ever what it is. I, listen, church is ordained by God. Please, Listen, I'm a pastor. I love church. I know God did it. I know it's his idea. It's his way to equip the saints. Well, like, like it says in Ephesians 4, I get the purpose. But for us as believers, God said, go and be light, salt and light. Your life should be tasty. Your witness should be evident. Your service should be evident. Man, people need your love, your help. Help them. I love what somebody said, man. He said, man, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather that you walk with me than merely point the way. Man, that... that that is what we're called to. So when you're saying, what happened with Israel? God said, you're to be my light to the whole world. And they said, nope, it, this is about us. And God said, okay, well, we're going to have to put you on the back burner. And Jason talked some about the jealousy of God because uh, we're going through Romans on our midweek service. And, and listen, did God do away with Israel? No. no. Listen, some of you have heard this term, replacement theology. Anybody heard of replacement theology? Listen, that the church, church took the place of Israel? That is unbiblical and ungodly, and I'd go so far as to say satanic. It is not from God. It is not a biblical proposition at all. We were grafted in, and he made out of the two one, thus making peace. The Bible does not teach that the church replaces Israel. God's not done with Israel. And our job is to be witnessing agents, not only to other Gentiles, but to the Jews as well. Incidentally, we are having Jews for Jesus come out on Good Friday. We're going to do a Seder on Good Friday this year. So, I, so we were talking about it in staff, and I said, you know, I'd like to do something that's fresh, something different. So we called them. They're going to come in. So Good Friday, expect to come. We're going to have something a little bit out of the ordinary. But a Seder is the Passover, and, and they do all of the demonstration of salt water and bitter herbs and all. It would be really cool. Looking forward to doing it. That was a shameless plug for Good Friday. Okay, so... <laughs> So let me wrap this up. Let me wrap this up. Um, I have said to you on many, 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 many occasions, don't measure what's going on by America. Watch Israel. I've said this to you over and over. Watch who? Israel. Oh, but the economy in the United States is so bad, and, and we've got ungodly presidents. And like, listen, 
I liked Trump as, Trump as a president. I liked his policies. It's fine. But did I think he was a believer? I didn't. I didn't. I don't know. Only God ultimately knows his heart. But I see enough cockeyed stuff in his life. I'm like, I don't know about that. That doesn't seem like. But, but I look at where we're at today, and I'm like, man, we just keep pushing the envelope, calling evil good and good evil. We keep it so, so my prayer for our, our next administration is, God, put somebody in who has a conviction of your values. Because, man, like a, a couple weeks ago, we, we announced to send people to the school board meeting to talk about the homosexual agenda and the sexuality being promoted in the schools. And I'm not sure who was able to make it. I was out of the state. But, man, my hope is that we start opening our voices and saying no to evil. Like if we don't, listen, I'm not saying fight every battle. But I'm saying there are some that you have position to fight and you should. And I can tell you on behalf of the educators in our church, they would give you a hearty thank you for saying something. Because they talk to me and they say, hey, could you be praying for me? They're asking me to teach this. They're asking me to do this. And it's conviction like I'm a believer. I can't teach this. This stuff's ungodly. How do I do this and not lose my job? And, I, and like I'm of the opinion this. If you're in that spot, God put you there. Not to fire you, is so that you could be a light Amen. in a dark place. Hello? So you educators, I love you and I pray for you guys because you're in the thick of it. I understand that. Listen, we are called to not just stick our heads in the sand. We're, but, but listen, watch Israel. In particular, watch Jerusalem. You see uprising in Jerusalem, you should pay attention. For those of you who want me to get all eschatological on you, like, what's that word even mean? End times events. We're going to start Revelation next week, so we'll be going through all of that stuff, and hopefully you'll get some understanding of, of what the Scriptures say about end times events. But you should be watching Jerusalem. If something happens in Jerusalem proper, pay real attention. Pay real attention. Stuff happening in Israel, pay attention. Don't, don't put your head in the sand. When things start happening anywhere around Israel, we should pay attention. What about America? This was another one of the questions. What happens to America? Listen, biblically, America is not mentioned. And you have people argue, oh, it's this, it's that. You know, you get into replacement theology and America becomes the new Jerusalem, which, hello, we're failing miserably then, I'm sorry to say. I mean, just honestly. No, no so listen, listen. What happens to America? We're not mentioned. Does that mean we don't exist? Don't know. Don't know. Can't speak to what God doesn't speak to. We don't know for sure. There, there's a young lion and a young bear. There's some commentators who will say, that's America. We don't know. We simply don't know. Is Ameri I, I can tell you this 100% sure. I'm 100% sure I'm confident of what I'm about to say. If we keep backing America, we exist. Jerusalem, Israel, we exist. Said that backwards. If America keeps backing Israel, we exist. Why? Because God said, those who bless you, I will what? I was really pleased to see President Biden step up and say, we've got Israel's back. Really pleased. I was happy to hear that. And I wasn't happy, oh, finally, a that's not what was going on in me. I'm like, <laughs> dodged a bullet of sorts, because if we give up on them, God takes his hand off of us. We need to understand that. But there is no direct reference in the scriptures to the United States. Are we in the end times? These are the questions I'm getting from you guys. Okay, possibly. Would I say an emphatic yes or an emphatic no? 
Okay, so I've got to like tell on myself a little bit. So I grew up in a church movement. Are you guys all okay? Because I'm telling some stories. I'm trying to help you guys understand. Is everybody okay? Give me a hearty like, ooh, we're doing okay, Pastor. Okay. Uh, that, yeah, so, so I grew up in a church movement that everything that occurred in the world was the end of the world. It was awful. Oh, it was, you know, Russia, the Cold War. Um, it was uh, heading into the 90s, the the housing market crash in the early 90s, then it was Y2K, then it was the housing market crash, and Russia's no longer a nation. Now Russia's starting to show up, now China's starting to show up, which are references to Rosh and, and Gog and Magog, and, and we'll get into that later when we get into Revelation. I'm looking at all this, I'm like, man, I've been told the world is ending so many times, I'm over it. So listen, why do I never talk about the end times events? Because of that experience. Because I was so tired of hearing, it's going to happen, this, it's, it's Putin, it's, it's Gorbachev. It's, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. Like, like there's parts of it that God said is, is going to unravel in front of us, and we won't know. We won't know. We won't know emphatically that this is what is directly occurring until we're in it and it's occurring. And now don't worry, we'll get into the pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib rapture in several weeks. We'll talk about all of that as well. Because some of you are like, will we even be here? You're asking questions as I'm talking. We'll get into that in a few weeks. But this is what you should be thinking, seasons. You should think seasons. Watch, this is Jesus speaking, Matthew 24, verse 4. And Jesus answered them and he said, see to it that no one misleads you. By the way, I had 30 years of people telling me, it's now, it's going to happen. See to it, no one misleads you. In other words, you should know enough about it that if I'm wrong, you would be able to call me out. That's how much you should know about it. It's not a passing thought. It's an important thought. Verse 5, he says, For many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and they'll mislead many. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not what? Okay, for some of you, when I talk about this stuff, you're like, oh, this stuff freaks me out. I don't like it. I don't want to. I told God all my life I don't want to be here in the end times. Man, what a glorious time to live. Now, what a glorious time to live. We see more release of the Spirit of God in this day and age than ever before in history. We shouldn't be frightened by that. We should be privileged by it. Could it get hairy and scary? Yeah, it could. But we should not be afraid of, if God chose you to be here for such a time as this, there's purpose. See to it, verse 6, that you are not frightened. For those things, what must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But in all these things, they're merely the beginning of birth pains. Ladies, how many of y'all had a baby? You didn't know what day, did you? Not unless you had a C-section or something to schedule. That's different. But if you went through labor, you know this. Once it's on, it's what? There ain't no stopping it. But you don't know for sure. Now, you can measure the timeline because if you're pregnant, somewhere around the end of the ninth month, you're going to start feeling stuff, right? I remember like my kids in the womb, they move and you see an elbow go across the belly. You're like, ooh, it's getting close. It's getting... That's what he's saying. When you see birth pains occurring, things happening, you should pay attention. Okay, now listen to me. I love you all, and I'm not a fear monger at all, but I look at the rise of China economically. I look at the rise of Russia, the Ukraine war. I look at the attack on Israel. Maybe. 
Maybe there's some birth pains. Maybe. Not saying for sure, but I'm saying maybe. Maybe we should be paying attention right now. That's what I'm saying. I don't think it's incidental or accidental that I felt like God led me to teach Revelation, which started several months ago. And, and then we have an attack in the Ukraine, an attack in Israel. And I'm like, really, God, that's messed up. Because <laughs> I know that you guys are going to come going like, what do, we, what do we make of this? What does the Bible say about it? And I'm going to do my best to lay some of that out. And I'm not going to, so you guys know, you will not get a lot of dogma out of me. You're not going to get that. For those of you who don't know what dogma is, like it's going to be this way and no other. You're not going to get that. I'm going to tell you, here's what you should watch. This is what I'm going to try to equip you to learn and discern. Because, listen, I've heard enough sermons on the end of the world to know that those guys were wrong. I don't want to fit into that category. I want to be the guy who equips you to know what you should think and what you should watch. Watch Israel, particularly Jerusalem. You would know the season. You would experience... The birth pains. Listen, I would say it this simply, pay attention. Pay attention. It's not accidental that all this stuff's happening. Should you be freaking out? That wasn't very hearty, church. Should you all be freaking out? No. no. Watch, this is what Jesus said about it. This is in Luke chapter 21, verse 28. He said, but, but when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your head. Don't go running around, whoa, oh man, I can't believe it. This is so scary. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm freaking out. No, no, no. Lift up your heads. Listen, because your redemption is drawing near. Listen, we ain't living for this life. Somebody help me out. Man, I told somebody the other day, man, I can go home anytime because this life is rough. Wake up in the morning, body's all hurting, can't even get out of bed, go to tie your shoes, can't reach the laces. Am I talking to anybody? Well, listen, I'm not saying I want to be gone. I love my kids and my wife, and I love my church, and I love getting to do what I do. But if Jesus decides to take me home, I'm okay. Now, I went and celebrated my buddy's life last Sunday after church, and good friend, he passed young. And there was a part of me that missed him just deeply, and there was another part of me that was just straight-up jealous. And I'm not lying when I say that. I was like, man, he lived for Jesus, and he's there now. And this is what I think. I'm going to join you again. I can't wait to eat whatever, some big turkey thing with him and, and Jesus, because that guy could cook. So listen, Jesus said, look up, don't freak out. Look up, don't freak out. What's our role in the end times? Pray. That's your first thing. You should do what? You should pray. You shouldn't get afraid. You should pray. You should also be light. We talked about this, didn't we? Jesus was a light. The church is light. Israel's intended to be a light. We should be light. Acts 1.8, we should be witnesses. We should be servants of the Most High. What should you be doing in this time? How important is readiness? And I'm going to close with this. So Matthew chapter 25. So Jesus is telling them, listen, when all those wars, all of that stuff's going to happen, it's just the beginning. You should pay attention. And then he goes on and he tells a parable. Now, anytime Jesus told a parable, it was told for people who believed. Like everybody thinks this, that a parable is told so that you would understand an analogy. That's uh, not biblically true. He said, actually, if you were trying to figure out, he said, it wouldn't be revealed to you. He said, I spoke in parables for the people who believe. This is what Jesus said, right on the heels of, you should pay attention. Verse 1, he says, And the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. 
Five of them were foolish, five of them were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks and with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and they began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, and, and behold, the bridegroom come out to meet him. Now so that you guys understand some context of what's going on, when there was a Jewish wedding, the way the wedding happened is when the, the father of the bride said, it's now. Or pardon me, father of the groom said, it's now. So there could be a wedding thing going on. Like, like my daughter's getting married in May. We know what time the service is starting. We know how many people are coming. Well, I know how much it's going to cost me and it's painful. I know those things. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is, you're, well, I was going to say you to you, but you guys are both men, so i got to use a guy and a girl. So you and you, because you're actually married. So you two are going to get married, and you know how you know when the wedding's going to happen? When the father shows up and goes, Michael, it's now. Call them all. It's now. It's going to happen right now. Now, why do they have lamps and oil? It's the light. There's light being shown. And there's preparation. And there, watch, he goes on. He goes on, he said, Then those virgins, verse 7, who trimmed their lamps, the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. So you got some who were ready and some who what? Weren't. He said, But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and for you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. And they, they, listen, if you ain't catching it, this is a scary parable. Yeah. Amen. And this ain't light duty. You got to get what's going on. He said, but he answered them, truly I say to you, I don't know you. Because they weren't, listen, prepared. They weren't prepared. He says, be on the alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour. So if I were to stand up here and say to you, this is the end, you shouldn't listen to me anymore. Just being really honest with you. But if I were to stand up here and say, maybe you should have some oil in your lamp. That might be really smart right now. Maybe you should be ready. Maybe you should be prepared for the return of Christ. Maybe you should be watching enough. Maybe Listen, I'm going to say it in a way more positive way, way more. Maybe you should be willing to drag as many of your, your ungodly friends and family into heaven with you. Maybe you should be willing to speak and love and encourage. Like, I love, I love what, I'm going to brag on my son for a second. You're going to get annoyed with me. My son, I find him preaching to all his buddies right now. A year ago, I was asking you all to pray for him because he'd been a knucklehead. A year later, I'm watching him like he... My, my nephew Darnell got baptized last Sunday. He got baptized because Michael kept... Dude, you got to get right with Jesus. Dude, you got... And we baptized... We baptized our church baptized him last Sunday. And I just... I'm like, what an honor is that? What an honor... Like, come on. If I could say to you, the people in your life who are on the fence... The people in your life who you know need Jesus. Come on. How many of you guys got people in your life you know need Jesus? If I could say that to you and say, you opening your, your, your mouth, you being a light in darkness will change their destiny. Would you do it? You could set them in heaven instead of hell if you opened your mouth. 
Listen, I know ultimately sovereignty belongs to God. He controls. But he uses us to impart, to preach the gospel. This makes sense, church? Listen, my expectation of the next season, I think you're going to watch the churches fill up. They're going to fill up for two reasons. One is bad, one is good. First one is this, people are going to be afraid. Oh man, if the end's coming, I don't want to go to hell, which is not the worst reason to show up at a church, by the way. It's not. It's not. The other one's quite positive. I need to discover the love of God. I really need to discover what he means in my life. So what should you be doing? You should be praying. You should be a light. You should beg God for the preservation of Israel. For Why? Because when you do that, he blesses you. Super important. So I hope that that gives you enough of just a, like, why is all this such a big deal today? Because if you're paying attention, the sign of the times would say something's happening. Something's happening. Is it the end? I don't know. I don't know. Possibly. I don't know. But man, if God entrusted us to get to live in this season, I don't know about you, but angels coming down out of heaven, that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> it does. Just saying, people coming because there's a great revival? Because it does say there's a great revival before Jesus returns. That could be, listen, that could be you and I. You and I putting, you know, money in the bank account, so to speak, in heaven. Reward in heaven. Man, that's you and I. Because we just choose to be light instead of putting our heads in the sand. So listen, I want to close today. I want to lead you guys in a prayer. But I want to do this a little bit differently. So wherever you're at, get into like where you can hold the hand of somebody. Get into a little circle. I'm going to pray. You're going to agree. But I want us to do this as a church. Because one of the things I adore about our church is we are a community of faith. We do life together. And if you're newer, just grab the hands of one of those. Hey, Michael, grab the newer folks just so that they don't feel left out. I don't want anybody missed out. And if you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, you don't have to. But I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. And I'm going to agree that God would work with Israel, cover over them, and use our prayers to minister just a breath of fresh air protection and preservation over them. So, Father, I want to thank you that your word declares that you're a God of promise, that you're a God of covenant. God, we have watched over and over, over the years, that you've preserved Israel, you've protected Israel. Even when Israel rebelled against you, God, you broke her heart and drew her back. God, you've repositioned her in her land, and now she's under attack. And you're way more aware of that than we ever could be. So, God, I pray right now that you would use the the, the forces, angelic hosts, to preserve and protect, particularly on the Gaza Strip. God, I pray for the, the surrounding regions, the countries that are coming against and attacking. God, that you would ruin their plans, that there would be confusion in their ranks as they try to set up the next potential retaliation or attack against Israel. God, I pray for families of all people, Muslim, Christian, Jew, who've been impacted by this war and they've lost loved ones. Their hearts are broken. They're in pain. Some of them don't have homes. God, I pray that we would be able to be an agent of help, an agent of hope, resources, money sent, that America would rise up and support Israel in that. But God, you said that there would be no one, no force in heaven or hell that could take away the covenant that you committed to Abraham and to the people of Abraham. So God, protect them. Pray that you put a hedge of protection around the borders of Israel. God, we pray that you put a hedge of protection around the city walls of Jerusalem.
both old and new. God, we pray that there would be a resurgence, a rising up of righteousness and faith, a rising up of your providence over that land to protect and to preserve. God, we pray that there not be a life that is lost unnecessarily. There would not be a, an attack, a just a taking away of anything, God. Father, we pray for spiritual protection. We pray that you would press back the attack between heaven and hell, where Satan is deep in the mix and evil is being perpetrated, God. We pray now that we would agree with what it said in Isaiah, that you would raise up a standard against evil when it comes in like a flood. So God, raise up that standard now. I pray that there would be a supernatural preservation, God. We see over and over that Michael and Gabriel were released as archangels in the preservation of Israel. Release them with hosts and legions of angels to protect. So God, we pray for natural protection and we pray for supernatural protection. God, help us now in America as Christians to have a biblical worldview, to be light in this region, in this area, within our families, with our friends. And God, give us the grace in this season to live, to not waver in our faith, to not be uncertain, but God, just to stand firm in what you've called us to be. You said that we should be salt and light. So God, help us to be tasty and bright with everybody we're around. Jesus, we ask for your impartation. We ask for the fullness of your spirit to reside and rest on us. And we ask as we go today that we would have a sense of confidence about who you've made us to be and what our purpose is right now, each one of us. We pray this in the name that is above all names. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, God bless you guys. Um, we will be getting into this more going into the Revelation study. Um, but if you have questions, I'm happy to field them. If I have an answer, I'll give it. If I don't, I'll research it. Otherwise, God bless you all. Have an amazing rest of your Sunday. Oh, by the way.
you're in for the class, come on in. We're smaller because the ladies are gone, but we're still going to go ahead and do it. Um, what's that? Oh, I thought you were asking me something. Henry, let me know when you're ready, and I'll pray, and we'll jump in. I'm looking for the, the technology to be on point with me, too. We're good? No, tell me when. When? All right. All right, so let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into today's uh, study. And I um, want to recap a little bit, like where you guys are at, if you have questions or homework stuff. Um, but let's go ahead and pray. So, Father, thank you that um, we can take a look at words. We can take a look at rejection, the power of it, how much it can impact us and sometimes even unaware. So, God, I pray for open hearts and open understanding. Holy Spirit, we invite you to connect the dots because when we talk about topics like this, they can be really deep and wide. So help us not to be uh, guarded, particularly not with you. And help us to be open to what it is you want us to discover. And God, when it's all said and done, we want to be people who are walking in freedom and, and living out the truth that those whom the Son has set free are free indeed. So be with us today in all that we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, how is everybody doing with homework? Are we up to snuff on homework? Give me a thumbs up if you're up to snuff on homework. Henry is the only person who raised his hand. So no one else is doing their homework? Um, actually, could I borrow your book real quick? I left mine in the office, so. So I think the last thing we assigned, I, actually, my bad, I didn't put it in this one either. Um, well, let me ask this. How are you guys doing on reading the scriptures, like using the who I am in Christ? You guys using that Okay. That's like two people. What about the rest of y'all? Are you using it? You guys are like, I'm not going to shake my head because I'd be lying. <laughs> no, we give those to you so that you can, um, you can uh, like, understand the scriptures or the, the professed truths over you. Um, let's see. So the bitterness versus forgiveness, we did. Um, deception versus truth. Does that ring a bell to you guys? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Maybe I'm going to need to send out a message to get it correct. I wish they didn't reorganize the book because this was all done ahead of time and now it's different. Um, <laughs> yeah, so let's do it that way. Henry, we have a list of um, people in the class, correct? Yes, sir. Okay, so what... What I'm going to do is I'm going to send out the page number so you guys have, because I'm looking at this and it's not, uh, the dots just aren't connecting. And it's probably because I just preached, to be honest with you. But we can send out a message um, like Tuesday or Wednesday this week and let you know like this is what, this is where you should be through or at um, what, with the homework. Um, any, uh, any questions with homework that you have done? Anything not clear? Anything that you think, I don't know what I think of that? Or is everybody good so far with what they have done? Okay, the, the, everybody on my right's talking to me. I love it. What about the rest of y'all? Y'all good? A simple head shake. Okay. So I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I want to be available to answer questions should you have them. Um, so with that, oh, how was the prayer time? 
Very good. I heard great reports about it. Um, I was in South Carolina visiting Julia. That's why I wasn't here, which was really cool. I got to see her. But, uh, but I heard it went really well, and I heard that everybody was really blessed. So hoping that that was good for you guys. Okay, so this week we're going to talk about the power of words, and, and really this one ties into rejection. And one of the things that, that we don't often think about is, is how we handle rejection. Like people generally, we either live with an identity of rejection or we guard ourselves. That's, that's a human response to rejection. Like, I'm not going to let anybody close enough to hurt me. Or I'm, you know, like I'm going to act like it didn't phase me. Um, but the reality is that when people speak things about you, speak things over you, that those things can take up root in us. And if we don't deal with them, then they can be things that leverage us and have us living in, like, ungodly cycles. Um, we can get into our head with our thinking. We can get into our actions. Our behavior can take place in lots of different ways. But words do have power. So Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life. By the way, does everybody have notes? You guys have notes? Okay, good. Um, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And the idea there is if you love death, you'll eat the fruit of death. And if you love life, you'll eat the fruit of life. So death, the realm of death, the state of death, a place of death, and life is life flowing, fresh, giving. Um, so the fruit of our lips can be good or bad. And you can judge the fruit of your lips by the people that are around you often. If you look at uh, if people shy away from you or if they seek you. When people seek you out, that means that your words are fruitful. When they avoid getting counsel from you, there's just a way for you to measure it. Um, that the, They might think maybe you're being too harsh or whatever. Um, they'll avoid you. So it's important for us to be and I've said this many times, to be self-aware. Because if you're self-aware, then you can know, like, Holy Spirit, what are you up to? And how come when I spoke with these people, they avoided me? Or how come they didn't come to me for counsel? Whatever. You, you can measure it is what I'm saying. Um, in Luke 6.45, it says, The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth that which is evil. For his mouth speaks from what that which fills his heart. Um, so you can know, watch, I'll say it like this. Um, any of you guys Eeyore Christians? You know what an Eeyore Christian is? You're always complaining. Remember Eeyore from, oh, woe is me. Oh, geez, this stinks. Can't believe it. It's going to be cold today. Gonna be... If, you're, if you're an Eeyore Christian, everything's always negative. Um, by the way, that's part of the fall. All of us struggle with that to some extent. But can you see God? Can you see faith? If you speak a lot of negativity, you should check your heart. Because from the abundance of your, your heart, your mouth is going to speak. So if you're speaking a lot of negative, you've probably got bitterness going on. If you're speaking positive, you've probably got faith going on. If it's a mixture, but if you ask God to show you, he'll show you what's flowing from you. So, you know, you just have to notice that when your heart is wrong, your words will be wrong also. When your heart's right, your words will be right. So if, try to think of an example um, of something that happened to me recently. Uh, let me say it like this. There was an incident that was a crown. Details aren't important. And while it was happening, I found myself um, making assertions into what I thought was behind the scenes of the thing. You know what I mean? Like, this is happening. They must be thinking this. Or they're doing it because I did this. And I, there was this whole thing playing in my head. 
And it took me, like, it seriously took me probably four days to turn it off. Because every time I'd think about it, I'd be like, oh, no, that's kind of normal. I can't believe they did that. I just, it would flip over, and I'm like, okay, Lord, I need your help. Why is this bothering me so much? And then, I, you know, you guys hear me mention Pastor Dave. So I met with Pastor Dave, and I said, and I discussed it with him, and I said, why is this bothering me? He said, well, somewhere you have a root of rejection. That's tapping into somewhere. And so I've just been spending the last three or four days like, God, what is it tapping? Like, is it something from my, my childhood? Is it something from my parents? Is it my own negativity? Like, maybe it's no one else. It's just me. But that's the privilege of having the Holy Spirit in your life. You can ask him, what's going on? Now, he's given me a couple of ideas of where it's coming from, but not, like, you know when you get it. You know how you know when you get it? you feel free. That's how you know. Like when you get it, get it, you're, it's like an aha moment, like the light bulb. You're like, oh, that makes total sense. So I have a couple of indicators which are leading me toward, but I don't have a clarity on exactly what it is quite yet. But that's the same thing I'm encouraging you to. There might be things where you react, your words, your actions, your behavior, your manner, but in actuality, you need to check your own heart. What's going on inside? so that I can understand how to behave differently outward. But there is no, like, question. If your heart is wrong, your words and your actions will be wrong as well. If your heart is right, your words and your actions will follow. So <clears throat> warnings about words. So the Bible has a lot of warnings about how we speak, what we say, what we think. I believe in your notes you have the scripture references. and mine I'm going to read the scriptures, but I'm going to do this a little bit quick. Um, so arguing, this is one of the warnings about words, 2 Timothy 2.14. He said, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads only to the ruin of the hearers. You ever gotten in an argument with somebody and other people are watching and it makes them off as well? That's what it's saying. Like, don't, don't get in the wrangling about arguing over words it'd be better for you to just leave it, leave it alone than to wrangle about it. Um, what about coarse jesting? Like, you guys have, have those friends that everything they do is foul? Okay, anybody have a friend like that? The words that come out of their mouth, or it's, it's language you wouldn't kiss your mother with, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's bad. It's bad language. It's bad thinking. This is what it says in Ephesians 5.4 about coarse jesting. He says this. He said, there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting which is not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. So when, you're, when you find your heart going negatively, the way that you exchange that is you give thanks. So like, I'll do it from the front sometimes. Come on, church, let me hear your voices. What I'm saying to you is say something of what God is doing so you don't get stuck in what life is like, because life can make it feel like God's not doing anything. We know that's never true, but if your experience is so much that it feels limited, you've got to break that pattern. So what I do when we're together in worship is I encourage you, hey, like, come on, tell God, tell him how beautiful he is. Tell him how glorious he is. Give him thanks right now. Father, we praise you. We thank you. I honestly, I did that driving down this morning while I was coming to church because I knew I had a lot of material to teach the service and I knew I wasn't going to be able to cover it all and I felt unequipped. And, and I was in my head, this is going to be bad. I'm not going to be able to, they're not going to understand. That's what was going on in my head while I'm driving. Okay, so this is what I did. God, thank you. I, this is, I'm being honest with you. So this is not arrogant. This is just, God, thank you that you gave me intellect. 
Thank you that you gave me the ability to study this out. Thank you that, that whatever I say, your spirit can work with. Thank you for the time I was able to study. Thank you for the connections I did make. Thank you that you're going to use me this morning to change hearts. God, I pray that there would be clarity. pray that there would be encouragement. I pray that you would tear down distractions, divisions, blindness, that you would help us to just get a picture that you're a God of promise. I prayed like, I'm, not, I'm telling you what I prayed. It may not have been those exact words because I was doing it while I'm driving. But that's what I just wanted to like, God, I need you to shake off this sense that I'm not prepared because I'm prepared. I mean, those of you who are in the, the morning service, did you feel encouraged by the morning service? Okay, so clearly I wasn't in left field. But when you're grappling with that, you've got to do something to change it. Well, thankfulness is the way that you unravel the wrong thinking, the, the silly talk. Like for me, that was so, like I'm, I'm talking to myself, I'm talking myself out of preaching well. So you've got to take every thought captive. Um, what about being critical? Anybody struggle with being critical? Man, I told you guys, I got a PhD in this and I ain't never been to school for it. I'm serious, like, I'm really good at being critical. And, and I honestly, I pray about this often, but Galatians 6.1, it says, if someone falls into a sin, is that everyone? Yeah. All of us fall into sin. It says, forgivingly restore them or him, saving your critical comments for yourself. Now, are they doing it in the version I'm reading or the version that I usually use? Okay, so I'm going to read from the screen because my notes have different, I, I use different stuff. So, but I'll read from the screen going forward so that we're all on the same page. But this one says, brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to, to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So it, the idea is this, that anytime you're pointing a finger at somebody, there's three pointing back. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that. So when you're critical of somebody else, there's other people being critical of you. When you bless, you get blessed. When you're critical, you get criticized. So operate in a, in a pattern of blessing. Um, what about flattery? Proverbs 29, verse 5, flattery. A man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his own steps. Okay, so Michael and I went to buy a car yesterday. Man, this is like the epitome of flattery. You seem like a smart guy. Oh, shut up. You know, that's a, because, you know, like, like the guy comes out and he says, listen, here's the deal. Like I'm losing $4,000, like $3,800 on this car um, if I sell it to you for that price. And I go, yeah, I go, I don't think you're telling me the truth. And he goes, it's right there on the paper. I said, I know. And I still don't think you're telling me the truth. And you could tell he was like, oh, like, how dare you? And, and so Michael and I get in the car and we start to drive away. I said, before we hit the freeway, they'll call us. Like 10 seconds later, ring, 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 ring. Why don't you come back? Listen, and, I, and, I, and I'd already coached Michael. I said, listen, tell them we're going to get lunch and we'll call you back. That way we can have lunch or a cup of coffee. We can talk and we can decide whether or not we're getting railroaded or not. And after we talked, I'm like, I kind of think we're getting railroaded. So let's just bow out gracefully. And if they call you today, because I'm sure they will, that's their job, then we'll hit them with where we really want to be. And they can say no and we'll keep shopping. Or they can say yes, and we get a good deal. But, but flattery, the guy's like, oh, you seem so, you seem, eh, whatever. Okay, but don't use flattery. You spread, when you use flattery, you set yourself up for your own trap is what it's saying. Um, what about lying? So these are warnings about words. What about lying? Should we lie? And he says this. He says, an evildoer listens to wicked lips. So when you listen to gossip, you're actually evil is what that says. And a liar pays attention 
to a destructive tongue. You heard people say negative things about somebody and you, you engage it, you're actually operating in an evil arena. So just shut like, the, the, I, I'm going to teach you guys something right now and hopefully you practice it. Um, I've, I do this very often with people. I say, listen, you can tell me whatever you want to tell me. As a pastor, I have people tell me all sorts of stuff. And I'll say, you can tell me, it, but if you start gossiping about somebody, I'm going to ask you to go and talk to them and I will go with you. You, you know how quickly it shuts down gossip? It's remarkable. Now, if they're actually struggling and they want to heal, they'll keep talking. They'll be like, I'm so frustrated, and they did this, and it hurt. Oh, okay, and then I listen. Okay, problem. Now let's go ahead. Let's, let's set an appointment. Let's all sit down together. This is Matthew 18. If you have an offense and they don't listen, then bring somebody else and sit down and, and talk to them. You want to eliminate gossip? Do that. Okay, I, I'm fine to listen to you, provided that when we're done, we're going to make a phone call. Because if not... And I'm sharing in your evil doing, like the scripture said, because I'm gossiping. That's how you shut it down. Incidentally, if there's gossip going on and you partake in it, when you leave the room, you're the subject of it. It's just a matter of time before they start talking about you. So be cautious with how you use your words and what you do. Um, so, oh, wait, I skipped the gossip one, didn't I? I just did. Okay, so um, lying. Okay, lying. Again, I don't, hey, man, I just preach. Give me some grace, okay? It's like, <laughs> This is harder to do than you think. Okay, so, so how about lying? Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. So you don't want to, like God actually calls it an abomination, something that he'll discard, regard as evil. So you don't want to lie. Like, like I, I caught a fish yesterday. I'm going to tell the truth. No, I can show you pictures. It was like this big. Okay, but I'll tell you. I'll waste some time. No, it's fine. I'm going to tell. Okay, so... so I hook a little fish in the backyard. So you guys know I live from God Lake. I take a little teeny um, catfish, and I leave my line out overnight. I come out in the morning, and, and my line's pulled, so I know there's a fish on it. So I'm trying to reel it, and it's stuck. So I'm like, okay, maybe he swam underneath a rock or something. I don't want to lose it. So I just opened up the, the line, the bell, and I let it sit there. So I come back out about 10 minutes later, and my line's like down the channel, like it's a football field away. So I start reeling, and I'm, I'm fighting this fish, and, and, and he spits out the bait. So I take the bait and I, I tie it all on and make sure the hook's exposed. I toss it, toss in a catfish that something was sucking on. This catfish is dead now. This is my bait. And I catch a catfish that's like five or six pounds. It's gigantic. And it was so fun. Anyways, okay, that's my fish story. Uh, but, it, but it's not a lie. I can show you the pictures. I really caught a fish that big. So now I've got a big, gigantic bass, a big, gigantic carp, a big, gigantic catfish in my lake. So I'm pretty proud of that. Okay, so line. what about slander? What does God say about slander? How about Proverbs 10, 18? He says, he who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. So when you, like, I, I've had messages come back around. Listen, if you're a preacher, spiritual leader, people will talk smack about you. By the way, if you're a teenager in high school, they'll talk smack about you too. Come on, am I telling the truth, girls? You know I'm telling the truth. When you engage in that, it actually ruins yourself. It puts you in a position where you're participating in evil. Don't say things about people that aren't uplifting or godly. Just leave it alone. It's better, like, the, the old saying, like, if you don't have something nice to say, say nothing at all. That's actually a good practice. I, I mean, you wouldn't believe how many times, tell me if this ever happened to you, when you start to say something, and the Holy Spirit's like, mm -mm -mm. no, don't say it. You're like, but, but they need to know. And he's like, no, don't. Because when you do it, you're operating in slander or gossip or both possibly. Just don't do it. But words are powerful. Um, what about tone? Now, this is one that, like, my, my son is here. He could attest to this. I've had people tell me my tone is scary sometimes because my voice is deep and it's loud and I'm an intense person. But if you're talking about tone, gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
So sometimes, why did you do that? That can sound aggressive, and I can't believe you, that was kind of stupid. Okay, well, I just called stupid on top of it. Don't do that. Guard your tone, especially with like parents, especially with your kids, because kids don't have defense. They're not going to argue back with you usually. They're usually going to submit. Sometimes they'll buck back. Most often, they won't start doing that until they're adults. So if you do it often enough, they'll come upon you, they'll be like, they'll fight back. You, now you've got a cat fight going on. Watch your tone. Gentle answer. Be gentle in your words. What about name calling? Man, we just, I do this all the time. So you drive and I, oh, you stupid idiot. Watch what it says on Matthew 5, 20. But I say to you that everyone who has ang who's angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, you stupid idiot, shall be guilty enough to go to the fiery hell. How important are your words? That's the question I'm asking. So listen, when you lose control of your words, what that says to me, to us, to me personally when I assess myself, something's wrong inside. Something's not aligned with the Spirit of God inside. So that's why you take a journey in this class to discover what is it that's off. Now watch, true or false, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. How many of you guys got taught that? That's so false. I can think of things said to me, said about me, things that have come round out. I can think of when I was a little kid. Like, my nickname when I was a little kid was half a poop. I hated that. You're like, oh, that's so funny. I hated it. I mean, I hated it because it was my oldest brother, and he could whoop up on me, and you're not even enough to be a full poop. You're just a half a poop. I hated it. Hated it. And I know you guys are like, that's funny, man. I'm going to tell everybody my pastor's nickname's half a poop. No, it was, it was actually also Jamie, which I don't mind at all, by the way. But it, it just made me feel so insignificant. That's, I, that's like, I remember when I got older, my brother said, I go, man, I, I always hated when you said that to me. And he goes, oh, I was just trying to be fun. I go, but it wasn't fun. It was actually like, just made me feel small. And you're 20 years older than me. You could totally whoop up on me. It just made me feel small. I hated it. So sometimes the things we say to people, we don't know how they're interpreting them. We don't know how they, so be conscious of that, not only for them, but also for yourself. See, words, especially when they come from people in authority, so I'm talking particularly to parents right now, or grandparents, or me as a pastor even, or teacher or something like that, when it comes from somebody in authority, they can be especially hurtful. Words like this, you'll never amount to anything. Man, if you were just as smart as your brother, you'd be more successful. Those are, man, that's a death sentence to somebody. When you, the thing you want to do is honor the gift in them. Like, one of the things I love, Pastor Dave says this to me all the time. Like I said, I have a PhD in being critical. And when I do it with him, he'll say this to me, find the gold. Find the gold. He said, yeah, sometimes you got to dig, but the person's got gold in them because God is in them. Find the gold. Okay, so dig around, find the gold. He said, so about this person, what do you see in that's godly characteristic? The gold, the thing that's worthwhile. Find the gold. And I'll go, they're really patient. They're super generous. Like, I'll find the gold. And when, as soon as I start speaking what God says about them, in my own heart, it lessens the negativity. I can't leave that. No. They're good. They're like, celebrate what is good, not what isn't good. If you're a person in authority, be especially cautious of your words. And if you mistake, let me say it differently. When you make the mistake, parents talking to you right now especially, go apologize. It's like, you can ask my kids. I, I'm, a, I'm a dummy. Some, like, I say dumb things. I say dumb like, just quick, rash, and you're kind of like, oh, man. And just watch their countenance. Like, you'll say their countenance will fall, and you're like, ah. So now I'll not only am I annoyed, because now I'm annoyed with me because I hurt the, okay, and I just go, I actually had to do this recently with Bella. And I, I went back in, and I said, I'm really sorry, honey. I don't actually think that about you. Just frustrated, and it's been busy, and you didn't actually do anything. You were the final straw. But I'm sorry I said that to you. 
you know, I don't think that about you. I don't think you're stupid, and I don't I think quite brilliant. And she can make some mean cookies. We should have some today, actually. We should make some cookies, I'll tell you what. But celebrate them is the point I'm making. Watch your words. And now while you're listening to what I'm talking about, be listening this way. What words have been spoken over me that have me hindered in a shell, guarded, feeling like I'm not capable, you're not athletic enough, you're not smart enough. Like one of the things that happened with me being the, the baby of 12 kids, I got picked on so much that if you picked on me, that was my motivation to be successful. Like I turned it into motivation. You'll never be that good of an athlete. Oh, really? I, listen, man, I'm, I'm five nine and I'm white, but I can shoot the light out of it playing basketball. I, t I can't anymore. It's been years. But when I played when I was young, I used to have people like, I'd play pickup games, and, and I remember I ran on one court. It was a whole bunch of brothers and me. Like, I'm the only white dude. And I'm the shortest guy on the court. And the guy guarded me like, like if me to Marty, this is how he's guarding me. So, so he's not even, I'm like at the three-point line. I'm like, no problem. <laughs> All net. I, I can shoot. And so there's somebody's like, who's got him? Let him play. And so the guy comes in and he guards me and give me the ball this time. And I, and I give him a head fake. And, and they're like, oh, he can play. No, I'm not as good as some of those guys. But if you, if you minimalize or marginalize me, that's motivation for me. Now watch what you're like, ooh, that's, that's good. It's actually not. What was happening, and I'm not saying the drive to be competitive. That's kind of fun. What was happening in me is I always felt like I needed to measure up to someone else's expectation which made me never comfortable in my own skin, my ability, my own successes. It made me very arrogant because I would celebrate very highly something that I did well so that I didn't feel small about something I didn't do well. Does this make sense? That's the connection of how it works in our spirit. So pay attention. So some of those things are not, it's not wrong to be competitive and driven, but it is wrong to be prideful and arrogant. So you have to be guard cautious. So, so when we misuse stuff, we've got to be really pay attention that we can hurt somebody or it can turn into rejection for us. So point three in your, your outline, rejection. Everybody faces rejection. The champions of faith, read Hebrews 11. All of them face rejection. Hebrews 11, verse 34, um, it says this. It says, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weakness, were made strong, became mighty in war, and they put armies to flight. These guys, like, they went through hell to live out their faith. So listen. We've got to understand that rejection is part of it, and people will hate you for what you stand for. Even Jesus himself was rejected, Isaiah 53, verse 3, and it says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. In some of your translations, it'll say he was rejected, and we did not esteem him. Jesus himself was rejected. So if Jesus was rejected, what should we think about ourselves? high likelihood we're going to experience rejection as well. So overcoming rejection creates pathways of power for us within the kingdom of God. When you learn how to deal with it properly, it makes you strong instead of weak. So the, the root of rejection, what are the root of rejection? See, damage from rejection is a result of misplaced identity. So I could use a lot of examples. I could probably use any of us as an example. But a lot of times we take, we take a lot of pride in something we do. And, and there's nothing wrong with being proud of your work, your athleticism, your intellect, your creativity, your, your artsiness, whatever it might be. Nothing wrong with saying, thank you, Jesus, for making me that way. But when that becomes the thing that is your identity, that means you're not celebrating that God made you unique. You're celebrating that you got a skill that that person doesn't have. So when I was in the business world, this happens in the church, too, but I'll use the business world, I'm really good with numbers. I'm the guy like, you can tell me 430. What's 8% of 430 in my head? I just start calculating times 432. 8 degrees to 4 is 4, 400. That, that's what's going on in my head. So people have come to you like, hey, what's 8% of 600? I'm like, 48. I just, it just happens for me. And other people are like, this is stupid. Why can't they do that? 
And then I got around my wife could make things beautiful, which I am not good at. And I'm like, okay, I wish that I could do that because I'm colorblind. I can't see color. I don't care. But it started to make me feel kind of like insecure. So I would leverage the strength instead of celebrate the weakness. You get what I'm saying? So you have to know who you are. When you start to place your identity in a strength, um, sports, um, I know several of you are martial artists in the room. When you put too much credence in that, that becomes your identity and you lose your identity in Christ. You want to be a child of God who's a good martial artist. You want to be a child of God who's smart. You want to be a child of God who's a good athlete, a good businessman, a good whatever you are. You don't want to be a good businessman who's, oh, coincidentally a Christian. Because that means your, your identity is not being led by being somebody who belongs to God. Okay, so how do you know these things? Well, let me read a verse to you, Jeremiah 29.11. This is a, a, a promise that most of us have, have quoted and memorized. It says, I know the plans I have for you. Declares the Lord, they're plans for welfare, not for calamity. To give you a future and to give you hope. So God says he has a plan for every single person. All of us included, right? So, so what's your plan? What's his plan? See, you've got to discover it. You got Because when you have purpose, those sorts of plans give you direction and destiny. So let's take a look at a quick chart. We're going to actually do this together really quick. So, and I'm going to lead you in it so that you don't have a lot of time to overthink it. Because a lot of times what happens is when we do a chart like this, you start to like, oh, maybe I'm not really like that. I just want you to do it. Like the, the answer that comes quickly to you is one to circle. And then we're going to total up the yeses and we're going to total up the noes. So rejection, this is just a self-assessment. So here's number one. You got your spins in the, the seats, I think. You got everybody have a pen because you'll need a pen to do this. I know I'm seeing hands not going up. There's pens around. Yeah, there's some on the backs of the seats. Let me look at the music stands. Sometimes they have them. I usually have one on my podium. But anybody else need a pen? Or for those of you, uh, I didn't show up the bucket of pens. Okay, let's do it, though, because it'll take long. Everybody's walking around. We've got literally probably 1,500 of those stupid pens in the office. Now, I'm not playing when I say that. We, we ordered them a long time ago. We've got tons and tons of pens. Pen. Raise your hand if you don't have a pen. I no hands going on. Okay. So let's go ahead. Let's knock this out real quick. Do I anticipate or elicit a negative response from other people? In other words, do you assume their comments are negative about you? Yes or no? In question, do I become agitated or angry offensive? Can't believe you're asking me the question. Back of thought. Yes or no? Do I need to be considered an expert on almost everything? Ooh, man. Are you a know-it-all? Man, I'm failing so far. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I am. Am I known for being argumentative? Is everything an argument? Everything he'll die on? Do I believe that I'm on a higher spiritual plane that my opinion should be favored above others? Been a Christian longer, like they know that stuff I've done, how often I've served. Like I'm on the premise here. I've been, I've trained our niece Caesar. They should be talking to me. I look at Caesar, that's why I use them. How about this? Do I experience more mood swings? Happy, sad, happy, up, down, energized, no energy. Marked mood swings. Do I do things merely to gain acceptance or attention from others? I've got to be noticed. Can't, like you, you can't do things behind the scenes. You've got to be noticed. Have people told me that I'm overly sensitive? Oh, man, I hear this all the time. Your feelings get hurt really easily. Is my mood often dictated by the moods of those around me? If everybody's negative, do you become negative? If everybody's positive, do you become positive? Or can you be a change agent? Do I look for overvalue or do I look for or overvalue positive evaluation? By, in other words, I need an attaboy all the time. You did really well today. That was really good singing. Thank you for, or is it just, I do this as under the Lord. Do I expect to be overlooked? This was a big one for me. Baby at 12 kids, I, I always thought nobody even listens. Even as an adult man, this I've talked to recent, within the last five or six years, nobody listened to me. I remember seeing the thing with my family one time, and we were talking about something that was spiritual. 
I'm the only educated person in this, this area. All my family is believers, but I'm the only formally educated person theologically in my family, and no one wanted to listen to me. Oh, I was so hurt. And I'm like, okay, why am I hurt? Like, I mean, it was kind of ridiculous, but I took, I assume that baby probably doesn't know anything. So do I expect to be overlooked? Do I require special encouragement to, to participate in anything? Oh, come on, you should come. It'd be really great. Like, we'd use your help. You're really good at this. You should help. People need to beg you to be involved. Do leaders consider me inconsistent or unreliable? Are your yeses yes? Are your noes noes? Or can I count on you to show up and do what you need to do? Um, do I seldom attend Bible study, social gatherings, or blend in with others because I see myself as different? They just don't understand me. I don't fit in here. If they really knew me, I don't fit in here. It's the negative power. Do I base my personal value on how well I perform? In other words, if you don't do well, then you fail. But if you do well, then you're valuable. Do I measure personal value by the amount of spiritual insight that I have? Okay, so total up your yeses and your noes real quick. How many yeses did you have? How many noes did you have? Because these are indicators of how much negative rejection type stuff you've got going on in your life. Now, if you want to discuss this in greater detail, like after the class, I'm happy to walk through it with you, maybe encourage you some. In the context of the class, it would take too long, but, but this is a really good like, self-assessment. If you're like the 50 percentile, you've got some rejection stuff going on. And probably most of us in the room, if we're just honest, we probably live about the 50 percentile. We expect that kind of stuff to happen. So what you want to do, though, with that is you want to discover what is the root of that. Why do I feel like no one wants to listen to me? Is it really them, or is it really just me assuming that that's what's going on? Like in the situation I just mentioned with my family, it was me. Because then when I did insert myself, they, like, because it happened enough times that I finally inserted, they went, they went, well, Jamie, what, what do you think about this? And I went, I went, well, this, that, that, theologians think, scholars think, and I connected it to certain, and they were like, oh, we never thought of it that way. They didn't ever think negatively about it. It was me thinking negatively about my role. So you've got to break the pattern. When you lose, you break the pattern, and you learn to become, like, leave the rejection, become comfortable with who you are, your identity. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God has not destined you to wrath for the obtaining of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the message it says is, God did not set you up for angry rejection. I, I like saying it this way. If you're good enough for God, you're good enough. If you're good enough for God, you're good enough. Listen, a lot of times rejection issues come because we don't think we measure up to God. You need to resolve that one as soon as you can because that one is the one that will hinder you more than people's opinions. Okay, foundation truths that break rejection and they bring transformation. Jesus is, this, is central to our success and to our joy. First Peter 5, 7, I'm only, and you don't need to put the scriptures up here. I'm just going to deny it because I have it highlighted. So I'm going to do this part a little bit faster. Um, so Jesus is central to our success and joy. It says that in him, um, by believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible that's full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. See, when you find yourself secure in who Christ is, that you have, then you have joy inexpressible that's full of God's possibility, his glory, his weight in your life. So Jesus has got to be the center thing that, to your success and to your joy. Um, humility will always go before or precede transformation. Um, in, in Luke 18, um, I'm going to read the whole one on this one. It says, Pharisee stood and, and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like the people. You ever prayed that? Glad I'm not like them losers. That's basically what he's doing. And then you get the verse 13. It says, the tax collector standing from a distance away was unwilling even to lift his eyes to heaven. And he was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He says, I tell you that this man will to his house justified rather than the other one. He who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So measure whether or not you're struggling with pride. Pride is often an avenue to rejection. You think that you're something higher instead of being humble. That'll get you in trouble. The Holy Spirit will give you discernment, and he'll give you 
guidance. It says, but the natural man, 1 Corinthians 2, 14. Henry, if you want to throw them up, you can, but I'm just going to go fast, but they want to read along from the screen. That's cool, too. Um, it says, but the natural man does not accept things that are the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they're spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is not appraised by anyone or is appraised by no one. So, again, the Spirit will give you discernment. Um, we cannot control others' words or their actions. 2 Corinthians 1.23 says, But I call God as a witness to my soul, that to spare you I did not come again to Corinth, not that we lord it over your faith, but we're all workers with, with you for your joy. For in your faith you are standing firm. So you don't, listen, control is like, um, I'm going to say something off the notes for just a second. Um, control, um, fear, um, worry, they're all kind of piggybacks. They all work together. When you control somebody, usually, usually you control them out of fear. Or when you're being controlled, they're fearful about what you might do. Um, so you've got to pay attention to those because those are all roots of evil. That's like the enemy's playground. When he can get you fearful, he can control. When you try to control people, you're often operating in fear, worry. Uh, like sometimes it's unrealistic ideas about where your kids are, what they're doing, who they're with. And sometimes it's, I mean, it could be any of a number of things. But when we operate with a lot of control, that should be an indicator for you. I'm worried. I, I need to control this because if I control it, then I don't have to worry. That's almost always at a root of some form of misunderstanding about who you are, who God is. And it usually is born out of or birth out of um, some sort of rejection. Okay, so releasing forgiveness is essential. Like God operated forgiveness. This is about breaking free from rejection. John 20, 21. So Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. The Father sent me. I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. In his first hand, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins will be forgiven. But if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now, now I want to be really clear when I say this. This is not God giving you the authority to damn somebody. That's not what it's talking about. What it is talking about is God giving you the, the authority of the kingdom to keep somebody stuck or confined or to release them. Does that make sense? In other words, if you are critical and judgmental of somebody, they will often operate within the framework of criticism or judgment. But if you're gracious and forgiving, you ever forgiven somebody done you wrong? Okay, how about this? How many of you have been done wrong? We can all raise our hands, right? Every single one of us. But when you forgive them, not only are you releasing and freeing them, but you're releasing and you're freeing yourself. That's what you're doing. So when it's saying, if you forgive anybody, they're forgiven. If you retain it, it's retained. It's not retained before God. It's retained between you and them. It limits your ability to operate in forgiveness, grace, and in freedom. Okay, so there is power in prayer. So when you're stuck, what should you do? I love this. This is my, one of my favorite passages on prayer. Because when the Bible talks about forgiveness between God, it's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Now, what about when it's between people? James 5, 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be what? Healed. So when you confess and forgive between people, there's healing. Now, I understand that God has a positional righteousness that he releases when we confess. He gives us presents us as righteous. But when we do it with people, it heals us. Now, anybody ever had an infraction? Was it like you're on the outs with somebody and you go and you have a heart to heart with them? You're like, man, I need to ask you your forgiveness. When I did this, I was, in, I, this was, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Sorry when I said this to hurt you. And have you ever had it said back to you? Yeah, me too, man. I was wrong. I guess it's like love. I've had an opposite too. You go, yeah, you're a big jerk. You know, yeah, okay. We all know I'm a big jerk. That's why I'm confessing it to you right now. But sometimes it brings restoration. Sometimes it brings healing. And when you operate in the spiritual principle, you, you position yourself with God to be healed. And that's the most important part of the whole thing. When you operate as somebody who's kind, gracious, forgiving, you're releasing people, you operate in freedom. When you do a lot of criticism and judgment, you actually operate, you can stick yourself in a box. It limits your freedom. 
So there is power in prayer. When you're stuck, I would encourage you, like I said this to you guys before, get a dump partner, somebody you can dump on, somebody that's trustworthy, somebody who's not going to gossip. What's a dump partner? That means somebody you can go vomit on, and they will pray for you when you're done. They won't be like, man, I can't believe you think like that. They don't need to judge me further. I need to be able to go, man, Marty, I'm still so bad. So mad about this. This person said this. You know, and, and it's not for the purpose of God. I'm not trying to dog that. There's got to be somebody trusted. I do this with Pastor Dave. I also do this with Pastor Russ sometimes. I just go and say, man, I'm really frustrated with this. Man, I need it on somebody. Russ, man, if you guys have figured out, Russ is like Jesus. I'm serious. Like, he's just very patient. He's very kind. He's very loving. And he'll stop and pray with you. He won't judge you. He's very, very gracious. So I find people like that so I can dump on them so they get healed. You should find the same thing. All right, so you can take your thoughts captive. I love something Joyce Meyer said. You don't have to think what you're thinking. It's so simple. You actually don't have to think that. Well, if you battle in your mind, you need to take the thought captive. I believe my wife did this. She's always like, I can't believe my coworker. He's totally, he said this. He said it was his work and it was my work. It, turn it off. How do you turn it off? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> bless them. The way that you bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. So when you get into that cycle, I can't believe my boss. I can't believe my wife. I can't believe my friend. I can't believe they said that. God, I, want to, I, I had to do this with Pastor Ann one time. I was really annoyed with them. Actually, more than one, but this particular time, I was really annoyed with them. And I found myself just grumbling, grumbling. And I finally just stopped. I said, okay, God, would you bless him? Give him, give him an amazing day. God, would you bless his marriage? Let him, let him yeah, just be, like, yeah, let, let him just pastor. Bless, bless his kids. God, I pray you bless his ministry. I pray you bless his creativity. I pray you bless his ability to study the word. I pray you, but I just started speaking blessing over him. Um, I don't know if any of this happened when you guys did prayer time, but we're going to have another prayer time when we're done. It's the last class we're doing the prayer time. Um, a lot of times when I get with people, particularly if they're not, um, like they're newer Christians, that this works really, really well. It works with us old, crusty Christians too, by the way. But just so you know. But this is what I'll do. I'll start praying for them, and I just keep blessing over them. So no, like, God, would you help them with it? No. But I, I just pray that you bless their physical health. God, I pray that you bless their marriage. Pray that you bless their children. God, I, I just pray that you would bless their relationship with their friends, their neighbors. I pray that you'd bless their workplace. I pray that you'd bless their finances. God, I pray that you just be blessing over them. And as you do it, your heart agrees with it because from the abundance of the mouth, heart speaks, and it changes the way you think about people. When you do that with somebody, I've, I've done that with people that you, know, you don't know very well. You just pray over bless them. When it's done, they're bawling. And I'm like, I'm like why? I've asked one person, I go, why was it so moving? This is what they said back to me. They said, no one in my life has ever spoken a blessing over me. No one's ever done it. No one has ever told me that God blessed me, that he made me unique, that he blessed my creator. They were just, no one had ever done it. And that means, think about that. Go your whole life and not ever having anybody say to you, way to go. Nice job. Imagine that. I was shocked that they were experienced that, but it blessed them so much they were just bawling. So use your words to bless. Okay, so back to the take everything. I didn't even read the verse. Second Corinthians, take everything captive. You don't have to think what you think. In Second Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but they're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying every speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Watch, and we're taking every thought, how many thoughts? Every thought captive to the Lordship of Christ. You don't have to think what you're thinking. You can take captive over it. Um, we have a renewed mind. You've been given a new way of thinking. Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, metanoia, transformed, changed by the renewing of your mind, so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You've been transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you became a Christian, God gave you a way of thinking. You have to choose to think that way. I wish it wasn't a choice. I wish, like, got a new mind. I have any of those bad thoughts anymore. That's not how it works. You've got to choose to take the thoughts captive. You've got to choose to let God renew your mind. And, and listen, I can't say this enough. Practice. You're not going to do it perfect. 
Somebody say this with me. Just say, I got to wake you guys up. You're waking me up. Say this with me. I'm not perfect, but God is working on me. That's it, man. You're not going to do perfect. So, so, but when you start to win the battle of your mind, you'll start to win the battle in your relationships, in your attitude. It'll change everything about how you behave. And more that we grow in it, and I'll say this too, if you don't pay attention to it, you'll lose ground. So pay attention to it. It's not like something you did last week and you never have to do it again. This is a daily practice. You can do it all the time. First Corinthians 4, 7, it says, And the peace of God which surpasses comprehension will guard your hard mind in Christ Jesus. You can guard it. And God wants us to rest in him. He wants you to rest in him. This one, I'm losing my voice. Psalm 37, 7, it says, Wrestle, Lord, and wait patiently for him. Don't fret because of those who prosper in the way. Because the man who carries out wicked schemes sees from anger and forsake wrath. Don't fret. It only leads to evil doing. For evildoers, they'll be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they'll inherit the land. Yet a little while, a wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place. And he'll not be here. But the humble will inherit the land. And they'll delight themselves in abundant prosperity. So there's a promise there. There's a blessing there. And that we get to operate in. See, listen, with the Holy Spirit and God's word, we can be set free from the enemy's lies and his rejection in our lives. So, but listen, I can't emphasize this enough. You grow little by little, glory upon glory. I can't emphasize this enough. Don't get uptight with yourself because you did well last week and not doing well this week. Don't do that. Just start. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, everybody, I got to be perfect. You don't need to be perfect. You just need to be surrendered. You can have 10 bad days in a row, bow your heart, and God accepts you. Now, I'm not saying I've 10 bad days in a row, but everybody fails. So get up when you fail, ask God for forgiveness, and keep going. And don't live in the rejection or being stuck because you made a mistake. You're not looking for perfection. You're looking for progress. Keep going back to the well. Okay, steps to breaking rejection. First thing is this. Recognize that you've been affected by rejection. So I'm curious. From the little survey we did, by show of hands, how many of you guys think that rejection is an issue for you at some level? Like every, every hand in the room. Every hand in the room. Because it's real. It's part of the human dynamic. That we're trying to draw close to God. But we've all... We've, so when you recognize it, it gives you pathways to actually be able to get free from it. You may never totally get free inside of heaven, but you operate in greater freedom than if you don't pay any attention to it at all. Step two, forgive the person or persons that have made that, it, that you felt rejected by or that have made you feel rejected. So who is it for you? Who are the people? Is it your parents? Is it your grandparents, your siblings, a friend? Is it me? No, I'm kidding. Because sometimes spiritual leaders will do that. More you have a question. If you do point to yourself, expand a little bit. Hmm. Yes. So you're your greatest critic is what you're saying. So what if I'm always I'm beating yourself up? Okay, so I'm, I'm familiar with this, by the way. Um, intimately, personally, I'm saying not I'm familiar with you and I'm familiar with me doing it. Um, what I found in myself, and this might be true for many of you, um, is that when I'm my, my own worst enemy, I'm not living as a child of God. I'm not realizing my identity. I'm not being okay with being okay. I'm not accepting the fact that I make mistakes sometimes and God is still okay with me. Again, I, I don't think I even need to say this. I'm not giving permission to live sin. I'm giving you permission to be human. Everybody makes mistakes. When I lose sight of that, then I start to perform. And when I perform, I never measure up to God's righteousness, so I just feel like a failure. That helps them. So we get in a cycle of trying to measure up. When God doesn't want you to measure up, he loves you because you're you. Let him do the transforming work. You just agree with it. Let him do it in you because we can't resist. But he's not at, he just wants us to bow to it. So forgive the person or persons, even if it's you, that you've been, been or felt rejected by. Now ask the Holy Spirit to heal your emotions. Now, when I'm saying this, like, this is going to be part of your homework. I want you to go home and do this with you and God. God, where do I feel affected by rejection? Who was the source? 
You might make a list. Me, my sister, my grandparents. I don't know who it is for you. But I want you to walk through the process. And I want you to forgive the person that you felt rejected by. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to heal your emotions. What does that look like? You know, it looks like this. This is how I would pray for that. You know, Father, I, I, when, when I consider XYZ person, like I can feel a stir in my heart that I'm not okay with it. And I want to forgive them because I don't even know if they did anything. But I want to be okay in my own person. So whatever emotion or hurt, whatever, wherever that's coming from in me, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to show me. I give you permission to heal me. I want to operate like I'm a child of God. I don't want to operate like I'm a stepchild or an orphan. I want to operate like somebody fully accepted. I don't want to operate like somebody that's got to measure up. This is how I pray. Like, I pray flat. Like, I talk to Jesus. Jesus, I, like, if I'm being honest, I was a little, Jesus, I feel a little jacked up right now. What's going on? That's honest. I pray like that for myself all the time. You know, sometimes it's, it's flowery Bible language. I'm on my knees. Oh, God, it's that kind of stuff. But most often, I'm talking to God. God, I just feel off. Why life off, God? And you'll just start, like I just asked, you know, show me the way that you talked to Bella this morning. I wasn't okay with that. Okay, so I fell off because I feel convicted, because I did something wrong. Okay, well, that's not a wrong reason to fill off. That's how the Holy Spirit leads us. Usually, when I do something, like that, I text my kid or whoever I hurt, call him right away, like, hey, I, I want to apologize. It just wasn't even good to me. I was short with you. I'm sorry. I mean, I do. I try to keep really short accounts with stuff like that. And God, where did that come from? Do, am I too busy? For me, this is where my number one is. Tell me this is you. I'm so busy that I don't have any time to think about how I want to react to something. It's often quick, quick, quick. God, do, God, do, God, get it. And most often when I'm impatient, I'm, I'm hurtful, I'm abrupt. If I'm abrupt, I'm usually hurting somebody's feelings. When I feel awful, Holy Spirit, show me, heal me. Does this make sense? So that's what you're, you're just walking through the process of God. What's going on in me? If you feel re- re- rejection, release the rejection to God. I feel rejected by my wife, God. I, I feel rejected by my husband, God. I want to release the rejection to you. I want to stand that I belong to you. Because if I'm good enough for you, I'm good enough. Help me understand where I need to grow, God. Because all of us need to grow. And one of us in the room that are doing it perfect. Help me understand where I need to grow, God. I want to honor you with my actions, with my words, with my thinking. I just want to honor you. And, and can I tell you, like, selfishly? Can I tell you if I do this? It's totally selfish. This is why I do it. Because I hate the way I feel when I'm off with people. Anybody else hate the way you feel when things are off? You walk in the room and you're like, you're talking to nobody because no one wants to talk to me. And everybody, like, I hate that feeling. I hate feeling like I broke God's heart. I hate feeling like I hurt somebody's feelings. I like that. Well, you're just a piece. No, no, no. It's not coming out of some brokening. I like it when things are unified, when there's communication, when there's honesty. I like that. When I feel off, I want to address it. Sometimes there isn't room for it. Sometimes the other person's not ready. So I try to line myself up with God. Guys, is there anything I know, need to know between me and you? They can't do them right now. They're not willing to accept it. What about between me and you? Yeah, you're, you're, acting, out of the, you're acting like Bay 12, James. Okay. Means I need to call my sister and tell her I'm sorry. That kind of stuff. It's just honesty. I like I'm not trying, not perfect, but I like being free. Somebody say amen. I like being free on the inside. When I operate freely, I feel in communion with people. I feel on the same page. I feel like I hear God really quickly. Like if I'm wrong, I feel God's like, ah, oh, you catch it quick. But when you have like when the filter's clogged, like this, when filters clogged, you have more rejection, the filter just gets further clogged. But when you keep the filter clean, which is forgiveness, confession, repentance, it's all of those things. Then the filter stays clean so that when someone drops something in, it doesn't plug the whole thing up. At least. So, um, that's a really great question. And, and I'll take more questions. I'm almost done, but I'll take more questions. What if I forgive the person, but I don't want to be around that person? Is that true forgiveness? Um, some would say yes, some would say no. Um, but I, let me give a few scenarios. Okay, so... Uh, let's say, um, I'll make a scenario ridiculous. Let's say when he walks in, I slap him on the face. 
because the Bible says, turn the other cheek. So I get to do that, and Marty has to forgive me. Okay, so Marty might forgive me. Marty might forgive me, but Marty might decide he doesn't want to be in the same room as me anymore. Is that wrong? I don't think it is. I think that's called a boundary. I think that's called a boundary. Yeah, in wisdom. <laughs> but, but let's make it, what if every time I walk in the word is just the room, a negative word is spoken about? Let's not make it a slap. Like, slap is pretty obvious. Like, I'm going to kick you if you slap me or something. But what if it's just, ram, ram. You always do that. Never. And you're like, eh, you know, maybe, maybe a little distance is okay right now. The challenge is this. Here's the challenge. So is it wrong? My answer to that would be no. Forgive them, but that does not require you to be in a relationship with them. Now, the further you go into things that are abusive and particularly physically abusive, definitely draw a boundary. Emotionally, um, sexually abusive, um, religiously abusive, lots of other abuses that would be in there that you would say, okay, I forgive them, but I'm not going to be subject to that criticism and heavy-handedness over and over and over. Forgive, yeah, well, actually, we're not capable of forgetting. Only God is capable of forgetting. Yeah, some of you are like, what? You just got to forgive and forget. Good luck. No, I'm, I'm being I'm not trying to be, should you aspire to release the, yes. But I promise you, that person does something that looks similar to the time they hurt you, you'll think it's the same thing again. And you'll guard yourself. That is a normal human response. And listen, it is not evil. When, now here's, here's the caution. When you close your heart to that person, that is when it becomes evil. What, what? Let me use, I'll use a marriage example. Um, the Pharisees are asking Jesus about divorce. So Moses permitted divorce. And Jesus says this back to him. It wasn't that way from the beginning. But what? Because of the sclerocardia in the Greek, sclerocardia, hardenheartedness, because of your hardenheartedness, he permitted it. But the highest goal is forgiveness. So you've got to guard your heart from being hard toward the person. Listen, I just did a book with somebody on boundaries. I believe in boundaries. I use boundaries when I drive. I drive the speed limit. I stay in the lane. Keeps them alive. You should too. You should do that in your relationships, but don't close your heart. The biggest challenge is just me talking now. The biggest challenge is it's very difficult to communicate with people who are reactionary and they hurt you. They don't listen to you because you feel like they're not listening anyway. What's the point? Why would I have this conversation again? What's the point? Be careful there because that's you guarding to where you're hardening your heart. You never know what God is doing in another person, so always be willing to go there with them. But to answer the question, forgiving them and choosing to create a boundary is not evil. Um, hardening your heart is dangerous. That could be evil. That makes sense. That's a simple way for me to explain all that. Any other questions on that? Okay, so I'll, I'll finish the last thing or two, and then we'll take questions one more time, and then I'll pray for you all, and we're going to go home because I'm tired. Okay, so um, the last thing is this. Ask for God to renew your mind with the truth of his word. So I'm going to walk through these again. Recognize that you've been affected. Forgive the person or the person who have infected you, even if it's you. Ask the Holy Spirit to heal your emotions. Release the rejection. God, but I release this. I'm I, you know, it could be anything. If it's marital, I'm a good wife. I'm a good husband. May not be the best, but I'm working hard to be as good as I can be. You, you got to honor what God has given you and reject what other people are saying about you. Ask God to renew your mind with the truth of his word. What does God say about you? Ultimately, everybody has an opinion about you. Everybody does. If you're lucky, people have positive opinions about you. If you're not, they have negative opinions about you. Everybody has an opinion about you. What does God say about you? So that little sheet I gave you, the who I am in Christ, why did we give that to you? that's what God says about you. And they said, I'm going to be a loser. Does God call you a loser? He says, I'm like fearfully and wonderfully made. The apple of his eye. The reflection of his glory. I don't know about you, but I don't think God would put his glory in you if he didn't think you were valuable. And I certainly don't think Satan would be after you so much if you weren't valuable. You've got to understand who you are. That's what eliminates rejection. And listen, that also gives you the authority in the scriptures to do battle when you are getting rejected. Should I feel like this? Holy Spirit, what's going on? How do I stay who I am in Christ and not let people affect me? And if I'm wrong, how do I accept 
the comments and fix it. Like there, you can be a person in the middle of this thing. Um, okay, so other questions. I woke up with a sore back. I didn't sleep very well. So, hello. <laughs> any any other? Actually, I feel pretty good. Gary prayed for me. I'm not hurt at the moment, so thank you for the prayers. Um, any other questions before I pray you guys out? Okay. And you're like, let me go home. <laughs> Joanne, your daughters are way too cute. You, you better get a bigger gun. I'm just saying. They are. I'm, I'm, I totally said, boyfriend, you have some problems. No, I'm kidding. All right. So I, I want to just, um, I want to take a moment. Actually, I want to walk you guys through one prayer. And it's just a prayer over rejection. And when I get to the spot in the prayer that um, has a blank, maybe there's somebody in your life that um, you felt rejected by or that you have some sort of an issue with. So when we get to that, you're just going to use that as an opportunity to say, God, this is the person I'm bringing before you right now. So I want to ask you guys, just bow your heads and, and um, pray so long with me. Pray it out louder in your voice a little bit, whatever you're more comfortable with. Um, but pray to say, Heavenly Father.